Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Whether you're for or against gun rights, this week's guest encourages you to take the emotion out of the conversation. The polarized sides of this argument are often so emotional that it prevents people from engaging in conversation at all. And I think we can all agree that anytime that happens, it is a damn shame. It's no secret that former SEAL, firearms instructor, and Trident Concepts owner Jeff Gonzalez is a gun guy. It also means that he's for anything that encourages responsible gun ownership so long as it doesn't marginalize his constitutional rights. This year, over 5 million people became new gun owners. Let that statistic simmer a little bit, and when you're ready, lock and load. I'm so sorry for another great episode. Here it is, episode 419. I got one like mid-length and one short barrel, 468, and it would be my primary cartridge if I if it took off. Yeah. It's just too hard. Like that's you can still use five five six mags with it, right? Yeah. I mean I have six eight mags for it. Mm. <clears throat> but like the the problem is like I don't want to say it's a dying cartridge. It's yeah. just not a living cartridge. Sure. Well, uh, did you hear that they're so the three, the three hundred blackout where yeah. they were basically stuffing a three hundred eight bullet in a five five six case? Mm-hmm. Now they're looking at taking a, I think it's called an eight six, where they're putting a big bullet in a three hundred eight case to try to make like to uh, to do like the next jump up of a three hundred blackout. <laughs> and I think it's called an eight six. And I had never heard of it. And then one of my buddies is like, "Have you seen this?" I'm like, "That doesn't exist." And then I googled it, and somebody was. I forgot the bullet that they were using, but it, it's a big bullet. And, like, the, it, it's the same deal. You're like, okay, so now I'm chunking a bigger piece of metal. Like, the, the thing that tripped me on the 300 blackout was uh, it was pretty good out to about 50, 75 yards and yeah. even 100. Yeah. But then when I started looking at the ballistics, it was like a rainbow. I very much. It was, like, outside of 100. I was like, dude, there's, like, 14 inches of drop. That's what I'm saying. Like, <clears throat> for mid-size, mid-size game, out to about 100, you could maybe push it if you really – jumped up to like good good supersonic stuff you might be able to get 150 200 but then it's like your your ability to get that good ethical kill is super taxed yeah. like you have to be on you can't yeah. you can't have any fudging whereas if you're inside of 100 super sub it's just you know it's like whatever yeah. it's like it doesn't really matter and most of the time my my if i'm using uh, that 300 especially out of that noveski it would be mainly for hunting hogs out of helos. That's the whole reason mm-hmm. that that rifle exists. That mm-hmm. rifle exists so that I can hunt hogs out of a helo. So the, uh, um, my dream has always been to have like a 12 and a half inch 308, <laughs> like in a really light, like SLR, like rig, yeah. uh, with like, just like a real, like kind of thin barrel, real light, put like, um, uh, you know, something like, uh, I don't know if you saw that new science or coach Amera. No. Uh, Chimera. So it's a can. I, I actually, I bought it last black Friday. And, uh, and did it. It's pretty cool. It doesn't have a rating on barrel length. So you can run an SBR 308 hmm. and full auto. And it's um, interesting. a full uh, warranty. You blow it up, we'll give you a new one. And so I was thinking like a 12 and a half inch uh, 308 upper in a real light like SLR setup yeah. uh, with like, you know, yeah. maybe just like you know, uh, like a low powered optic where like, you know, you're using 308 because I think I was telling you, I was like, for me, a 308's 
like, yeah, for you, yeah, like most people should. <laughs> it's like a five, five, six. six yeah. yeah, like uh, people are like, oh, follow up shots. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's I can easy. fucking dump this thing. So, like, like, just something light, like SBR, real short, like with the can, maybe a total of like sixteen and a half inches. Yeah, something real short. Like that's what I. That's kind of what I want. I I like a uh, long time ago, there was this dispute within NSW about barrel length for the 7.62 guns. Like mm. Everybody wanted to have, like everybody wanted to have somewhere between 18 and 24 inches mm. for maximum precision. And I was like, <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> what, what, when you say maximum precision, you're really saying your ability to extend the range and be precise. You're not really talking about maximum precision. You just want to be able to, you know, be able to hit, like super, super well at 600, 800, 1,000. But wouldn't you want your 300 wind mag for that? That's what I was saying. <laughs> like, why not have like a, like a short 13 and a half inch, uh, so, 12 and a half inch 308 battle rifle that you know is good out to 300, and then you got your so that's, sword. That's what I was saying. It's like, like the, I, when we started looking at the muzzle velocities and terminal velocities, the optimal barrel length for 7.62 as a battle rifle is about 12 and a half inches. Yeah. If you got it, now it's punishing at yeah. 12 and a half inches, but it, for you, if it's yeah. suppressed, oh man, yeah. it'd be like a piece of cake. Yeah. That's why, <clears throat> that's the other reason why I like that 6.8 is that like I can shoot like inside of 25 yards, my splits are going to be faster with 5.56, five, mm-hmm. but the moment I go outside 25 yards, my splits are the same. Sure. So it, I'm not really losing anything once I move out past 25 yards, but I'm gaining so much as far as lethality. Oh, sure. Man, I fucking love that cartridge. Yeah. Just now I'm getting all the like, and it's funny because I was going through all my shit trying to find more 300 blackout. Like, tell me, I, I'm like, come on, I gotta have some good, decent defense ammo, some meat ammo. Nothing. Zero. But I found so much six eight in the process. Well, you're like, oh, I'll just use it. Yeah, yeah, well, it, you know, it's a, it is a, my six eight is a 12 and a half inch. So it's perfect. It's like perfect. I love that thing. The only thing that sucks is that it's a it's a piston upper. Uh-huh. And I'm probably going to want to transition to a DI upper. Mm. Get a good 12 and a half inch DI upper. Why? Um, just the only piston gun I have is at HK. Yeah, and, I have um, a lot of piston guns. And I think what, uh, the, and maybe this is just me, but uh, I find that I got to oil it way more. What? The piston? Yeah. Mm. Like for some reason. Are you shooting it suppressed? Uh, oh yeah. yeah always. Well, yeah, you will because that, that gas is just vaporizing any oil that you have on them. So, so I, I know like if I uh, probably... You know, maybe every, you know, I mean, you just, I try to keep my gun pretty well oiled, but yeah, I yeah. mean, dude, the other day I, uh, like on that five, uh, on that HK416, um, I like went to draw the, uh, the bolt back and it was like, <laughs> I was like, oh God, I took well, it in, like cleaned it all up, wiped it all down. Cause I shoot, like, here's the deal. I, <clears throat> unless there's a law telling me I can't shoot with it, I'm never shooting anything unsuppressed. <laughs> I will never shoot anything unsuppressed. So, so uh, Scott Volkorsen, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I met Scott at summer at Winter Strong. Oh, nice. And so now we're buddies, and I sent him a bunch of stuff. And like, so the other day he was like, "Hey," because um, I was asking him some just some questions on like twenty twos. Oh, I love. And this uh, stuff, he's like, "Hey, uh, um, uh, I'm going to send something for your daughters." So he Please sent know. me one of their uh, 22s that's in their uh, Magpul Hunter chassis. Oh, with man. With a carbon fiber yeah. barrel on this whole thing. <laughs> so, like, I, I didn't know what he was sending me. So they, uh, uh, Capital Armory called me, and I went up there, and I picked it up. And the dudes were like, holy shit, this is incredible. And I, like, I called him. I'm like, I, I, I'm 
fucking thank you for sending me this is fucking amazing what can i send you and he's like dude you guys he goes i love your be the hammer I yeah love yeah, yeah, yeah and he goes to send me some so i put my little gem tech on there and we were out there shooting with the kids dude it is such a fucking laser beam i when i did the uh <clears throat> when i did the top shot um uh, like subject matter expert thing the the first time i went out there it was really cool because i didn't know what to expect and they were the executive producers didn't really know much about like these challenges that they were trying to make. Rizzo, hey. Oh, I'm giving. Oh, oh, she's whining. That's what I, I heard her whining. Rizzo, hey, down. She's like, I'm gonna lay on this. Yeah. This nice front. Yeah, I know, right? So um, I'm gonna have to put this underneath my. I know, I know. There she goes. I could so hello. We uh, like I only had like three full days of filming <clears throat> while I was out there. And so I had two like off days that were kind of weird. It's like one day of filming, two days of filming, one day off, and then another, like, I don't remember what it was. But anyhow, the executive producers were like, hey, um, would you be interested in trying to test out some of these challenges that we're coming up with? And I was like, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, they look cool. So, and they were. Some of those challenges were awesome. And when I, uh, like, one of these challenges was using a Volkortsen 22. Yeah. And... It was so much fun. Like there's some, I have some cool pictures of me shooting that thing and doing some crazy Dude, stuff with that. Uh, he, so when I met him, um, yeah, he, uh, he hit me or like, um, cause I have one of those little Ruger, uh, 10, pistols. Oh yeah. Right. So he, I, uh, we were talking about 22s and I was like, Hey, I got this. And he's like, when you get home, send it to me and I'll pimp it out. <laughs> so he replaced like, like all the mechanisms to trigger everything yeah. and then girl. shipped it back to me. And I'm like, dude. And he, and I was like, man, like, uh, can I pay you? He's like, nah, dude. Like, um, he's just like, we sell so much of this shit. Like he goes, it's <laughs> not that big a deal. So he sent me that pistol and then he just sent me this rifle. And I, I, dude, I was out there shooting this thing and I got a, like a, like a little red dot on it. And it was like, <clears throat> the kids are like, it's so easy. <laughs> Wherever the red dot is, is where the bullet goes. And I'm like, well, that's there you the go. Way it should be. There wired you up. go. Simple. Oh dude. Yeah. He's, he's a really nice dude. Yeah. They're in Iowa, dude. The guy's like fucking salt of the earth. He probably hits me almost every day on Instagram on something. What do you think her size, like, like, what do you think Max's size she'll get up she, to? This is it. Oh, it's she, it, huh? Yeah, she, she's a female, so she's going to, that's a good girl. What's she's, she going to be about, what, 50 pounds? Yeah, she's at about 50 right now. Because the males get up to be about 70. I mean, that's a beast. That's a beast. 60, 60 to 70, some of them, like, are going to be anomalies, like you. You're yeah. an anomaly. Yeah. So um, you'll see some that are, like, 75. You see one that's, like, 75, 80 pounds, that thing is just, like, <laughs> and if it's, if it's capable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, uh, the um, I remember one of the dudes that I know is one of the handlers for NSW. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he made a funny point where he's like, you know, because they they would bring the dogs home and yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. So he said in his yard he had to put fence like uh, uh, extend his fencing up ten foot. Yeah, because the dog like six foot would just clear it in a deal. And he said if there was an animal or any farm of varmint like squirrel whatever it was, uh, it was dead. He's like that dog hunted everything to uh, it like to extinction within the yard. Like there wasn't yeah. a bird in the yard and it was like, dude, just the, the, uh, what is it? Like the, the prey drive mm -hmm. is so high that these things are just savages. And the dog had gone to Afghanistan yeah. and like, I, I mean, the story yeah. he told us about like, uh, these dudes wouldn't come out of a house and they were like, send in the dogs, send in the dogs. Oh, all, all they had to do is get the dogs barking. They sent one in and every one of those dudes like jumped off the roof. They were scared to death. When, of the dogs. when, when, uh, when they get a taste of like flesh, 
it's really hard to replace that. It really is. So it's kind of like uh, the Lost Boys. <laughs> Once you get a taste of the blood, you're a vampire for life. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. That's why, like, unless you kill the head vampire, and then you well, go back to being free. Yeah. 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 We, when in the backyard, there'll be all sorts of animals that come in the backyard, and like I'll leave the. Uh, uh, we have a lower window. You saw that in the kitchen. It's like a yeah. lower window, and I'll open it up, get some nice breeze going through there, mm-hmm. and. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen her in my head just literally run through that screen <laughs> and kill something yeah. in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Like when she alerts, you should see her demeanor change. Like yeah. you can see the, the switch flip. Yeah. And when it flips. <laughs> uh, dude, I, uh, it was, I, I was stoked you brought her today, yeah. uh, but I was laughing. Um, so I, I went to go vote. And uh, as I'm standing in line, Kate texts me that video of the coyote. Oh. And I was like thinking, I'm like, Man, I wonder, I wonder how this will go down because I know, like, uh, you know, I like the amount. I'm, I don't necessarily let my dogs uh, out of the gate too often yeah. because when they do, they swim in the creek and then they're just covered nasty. in mud. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then I got to like hose them down outside, so it's just purely for like for me. <laughs> but um, they like the amount of stuff that they'll want to chase. Like oh. they'll chase anything, and then they try to chase these deer, and the deer is so fast <laughs> that they just like you know the. Like, like pit bulls are good within like a you know ten twenty they're, feet. They're like a defensive back. Yeah. They, that's it. That's, yeah. that's yeah. all they got. But uh, but dude, like these deer like take off and they like take off running and I'm just like they're getting smoked. And Vinny's fast, but he's little. He's like forty five pounds. So pounds. like if you watch her in the in like the yard or something, you can literally see her. Like she doesn't run like a dog. She runs like a deer. Like her her ability to prance. And then, like, I've seen her, like, our bed is about this high, and she'll be just sitting, she'll sit down, and I'll give her a command to come up, and she just, boom, like a cat, just yeah. just one movement, she's up. She's no running, no kind of, like, lunging back, it's just like, boop, boop. Yeah. No, they're crazy. She's uh, beautiful. I mean, what a nice coat. Oh. I, uh, I'm such a sucker for dogs. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll take them. I, I take them all. I'd yeah. be like, yeah. people are like, I don't well, like that, your dog. I'm like, give me your dog. I'll take them. That's the other reason why we want to move out and get more property is so that we can just have, like, that's Jamie's ultimate yeah. dream. Well, she's a dog trainer. Yeah. But I mean, she, she wants to retire from that. She doesn't want to keep doing it. She just wants to enjoy the dogs. Yeah. Like, when she's working with dogs, they're, they're usually troubled dogs. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, like, it's not always fun for her. So, and she doesn't want to like do obedience training. She doesn't even want to do like, she's, she's got all the quals to do like every kind of training that you want. She just wants to enjoy them. Right. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I am. I am dude. I, I, yeah. Um, instantly. I'm like, you're my new girlfriend. I, uh, yeah. And, and you know, the funny part is, is my daughters were here. They'd be sitting on the floor, just petting the dog oh. for hours. She, and she knows, she knows the suckers in the room. Oh yeah. yeah. She finds them like nobody's oh. like, she's That's got a kids. scent, like she can scent them out and she'll just lay there. Like, and then when you don't like, if I don't pet her enough and then she'll look at you. Like, mm. Oh no, it's not just a look. She gets ordinary. She'll like start nudging you. She'll put her paws. Like if I'm on the phone, I'm, like if I'm doing something on my phone, uh-huh. she'll just kind of keep hitting the phone with her paws, like knocking it down. Yeah. And this thing's distracting you from me. me. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> do, uh, do they do well in, um, like a single owner kind of a deal or like if it's like multiple dogs in a home, like I've never seen two of them. So they're pack animals. They'll, 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 they'll do well if it's a healthy environment Mm. as long as it's a healthy environment and they have good order and and a good hierarchy yeah yeah, they'll do fine okay yeah they 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 they, like the the worst that you can do is not 
let them be them. Yeah. You know, you have to be able. So if you're going to have more than one, you've got to be able to work more than one. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, well, and, and it's like if you don't work them and they get. Bored. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I, I know I know our dogs. Like if uh, if, oh. if I don't take them out, let them run or the kids don't do it or Kate doesn't take them out. Like all of a sudden they just go stir crazy. So I had to put her in the kennel for like um, a day <clears throat> and we have a we have a dog sitter that'll come over and take her out, we'll take her for a walk, play with her for about an hour. And in between the like I left in the morning, the dog sitter came around noon. So in that four hour period in her, she's got a kennel um, cage basically in our bedroom. Mm. And sometimes I'll just put her in there uh, and I'll only put the top lock on. I won't put the bottom one. And then it's just for a temporary thing like she's being annoying or I need I need to clean up around. She'll attack the vacuum or whatever. And um, there was an area rug that was laid out, and it had to have been maybe about eight inches away from the bottom of the kennel. She managed to get underneath the bottom lock and reach out and grab that rug and pull it into her kennel, and then she proceeded to destroy it. Mm. And we have like a camera to watch her whenever we're gone, and kind of it's a vocal camera, so we can tell her, hey, cut it out, you know, behave, stop barking, whatever. And both Jamie and I never saw any of that. It was like it happened so fast. She just destroyed it. And when we kind of, when I went, and you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> trying to figure out how she did that. And finally, I put her back in, and I would kind of like watch her through the camera, and I'd put something just far enough out and yeah. leave that bottom just so I could see how she did it, so I can prevent it from happening again. Right. right. <laughs> she just waits. She'll wait. She knows that maybe I'm around the corner, so she'll just kind of behave, be all nice and cool. <laughs> And then I'll open the garage door and close it, and so now she thinks that I'm in the garage. Right. And now that's where that's where she's trying to tear shit up, literally, literally. And you know what's hilarious? I could put every toy that she has in that kennel with her. She doesn't care. Doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. She wants something that she's not supposed to have. Uh, Well, she's like in in that year old kind of like uh, adolescent. Yeah, she's like uh, like kind of a teenager, like adolescent teenager, a little bit of defiance. I remember our dogs for like. It was probably like nine months to about 18 months. Like I remember having to like constantly battle them, mm-hmm. like flip them over, put them on their back, mm-hmm. like, you know, like assert dominance, like wait for them to walk through, you know, you walk through the door first, like wait for them to eat. And I mean, or wait for us to eat, like all that stuff. And then now it's like, eh, care less. They're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you, they've already. Us, if you us, put the work yeah. in early, yeah. that's the key. You put the work in early, you make your quality of life and their quality of life is so much better. Like we, like I, I should, when I say we, that's really code for Jamie. Uh, she did all the work with her, like all the obedience stuff, all of her, you know, things that are necessary for her to be in public. And then <clears throat> all of the other kind of like environmental stuff. She, so that she could be like a service dog, yeah. which is cool. Cause, yeah. um, I mean, you can take her on airplanes, you don't have to yeah. stuff her in underneath. Mm-hmm. Where did, uh, where'd she come from? Houston. Houston. Yeah. So the story behind her was kind of a funny story. We, when, you know, Argus passed away and we waited, I waited. He was the best. Yeah, I love that dude. Uh, <laughs> dude, uh, he had this big German uh, named Argus. He was the sweetest dog. I stayed at Jeff's house, and uh, like all of a sudden, I was like laying there. It was pretty early. Jeff had left, and I was just about to get up, and all of a sudden, I saw the door crack, and I saw the do- the dog stick its nose in, mm-hmm. and he like looked, and I kind of closed my eyes, and he like went back, and then a few seconds later, he like looked again, and I closed my eyes, and then he went back. And then all of a sudden he looked again and I opened him and he like threw the door open and like tackled me on the bed and was like such uh, like the sweetest, biggest, like 
Like yeah. I, he, he's another one. I was like, I, I even told Jeff, I'm like, I'll take him home with me right now. Yeah. This dog is <laughs> so sweet. And uh, uh, like uh, the whole time, like Jeff left, I got up, I made co- you know coffee. I was just kind of hanging out on the computer, and like he literally was like waiting for me he had his like uh uh his ball or whatever yeah, yeah. his like uh, thing over and he like kept bringing it over and he'd drop it yep. and then he got to the point where he was like hitting me with it and i was like all right we're just gonna play <laughs> and so yeah he passed and i was i i was like jeff's like argus passed i'm like oh. <laughs> it was hard i was like i love that dog <laughs> it was not fun no yeah. he was uh he was a really yeah. good dog well i waited about a year <clears throat> until i got until we decided to get her and actually, um, we started, and it was, again, Jamie did everything. She started researching, and we found actually a shepherd kennel up in uh, Dallas. So she flew out one day. Uh, we drove. She flew out, like, on a Friday. Saturday, we drove all the way up to Dallas. We met the, we met the owners. We met the kennel uh, or the, all the kennel mates, and then we met the puppy that was potentially the one that we were looking at. Great puppy, just this fur ball of cuteness, right? But we really didn't get along with the the kennel people like just there's something about them the breeders just i don't know what it was i just didn't get a good vibe and i think jamie actually even was she was she was probably overwhelmed by the puppy you know but i think deep down she also didn't get the same vibe so we drove home we said we'd think about it right and the we were looking for either a belgian or a shepherd and uh, and we couldn't find any good belgians there was like no breeds no 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 litters available from anybody we we trusted and we just didn't want to wait anymore. I should say I didn't want to wait. So then <clears throat> she had contacted one breeder in Houston, and the breeder was like, you know, we just had a litter, but all the pups are spoken for. And we're like, shit. So we got home from Dallas. Like, we drove all the way up there, spent about an hour with the pups, then we drove all the way back. And so it's kind of late. It's like about 10 o'clock at night. We're just tired. I'm dry. I drove all day. We got in bed, and then about... 10 minutes after we laid in bed, her phone goes off, text messages, and the, the breeder from Houston says, hey, the, one of the deals fell through. We do have a pup. And so she's like, we'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> and so the next day, we drove to Houston, and I got pictures of Jamie holding Rizzo when she was like literally this little eight-week-old puppy. And uh, like I'm just, I took that picture to memorialize the fact that the decision had already been made. Yeah. <laughs> it's a done deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, if you could see the picture of her like holding the pup and she's like, that's it. There's no, there's, oh, yeah. there's no way that this is not going to happen. Yeah. Do well, not bring a Sigo dog shopping oh. if you're not serious. That's how I got stuck with one of our dogs, which he's a fine dog. Like he's a sweet dog, but it was not the menu. Like, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. You know, it was actually like I brought her along as like I don't know, get some quality time with this new bird I'm dating. Yeah. And holy shit, dude! We Way to, to go. We uh, went to lunch after. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want it. You know, like that's not the dog I want. Yeah. Like, it's a cute dog, but so like that dog, someone's take it. You know. Yeah. And she just like the the daggers, Jeff. The daggers <laughs> that I was getting at TGI Fridays out in Jolie, or where were we? Homer Glen, Illinois. I'm like, what? You haven't said a word. What? She's like, you're just going to leave that dog there. Oh, like, what? Jesus. What? <laughs> yeah, I am. That's not, this isn't the dog I want. Mm. And uh, we still have that dog. It stinks. Uh, it's blind in one eye now. It's like, <laughs> you know. 
dude. Uh, uh, so I've purposely never done that. Uh, but yeah, like when I, I have all my dogs, I've gotten the last three dogs from one breeder. And then when we got uh, Vinny, uh, I sent Kate to go get it. So like the whole deal, like you got to send one person, two people's not good. So she came home and uh, Vinny's an idiot, but he's the most loving dog on the he planet. Is. He's so dumb. I love that <laughs> like, dog. Like, like he's like a fish. He like runs to one side and forgets where he went. And then he ran back. Like he's, he's, oh. Like he's legitimate, like uh, from... Yeah, up. Yeah, yeah Doug the dog. Yeah, oh, I love uh, that guy. He's so dumb. He's so dumb. I, I, that's why I started researching like what are the smartest dogs. It's because I I want like uh, uh, my dog Bear was super smart. Uh, I want a really smart dog. And actually, I think on intelligence, I think the Belgians are like they're just at the super top. smart. Uh, I mean, I was you know Jamie's got all this information. Um, one of the other breeds that's ridiculously smart are the um, giant poodles. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. couldn't believe uh, that. standard. Yeah, uh, the standard poodles. Yeah, they use those as uh, attack dogs in Germany. I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, I did not know that. Which is weird because I was like, uh, I but saw you that. you have one of the best breeds. Yeah. Why yeah. were you using those uh, things? Yeah. I, d- I don't know why it is, but those things are considered like very smart and uh, super they are smart. ridiculously smart. That's the other thing. It's like, uh, you know, breed uh, breed intelligence is always kind of like a subjective, quant- you know, difficult to quantify at times. But um, that's one of the things that she said. Like she like. If she's got to work a poodle that has some some issues, <clears throat> they are incredibly intelligent that they can kind of, you know, like it's not it's not like when you're dealing with a, a dog that maybe doesn't have the same level of intelligence. They're a little bit easier to manipulate of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, oh, man, this is going to be now tough. I gotta, now I got to work. Adversary. I have to work. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the... Uh, um, I think it's interesting when... Um, uh, so years ago when I was in Philly, uh, there was... Pretty close to where I lived, there was a dog trainer that did shit town training. Mm, yeah. So I, I took my dog and he made a, and I took Bear and he uh, he made an interesting point. He's like, um, dogs are motivated by one of two things: some are affection driven, and some are food driven. Yeah, yeah. You just have to figure out which one you want, and then that's you basically train them. Like, you know. It, so she's what? she she's got like some of them can have both. Some yeah. of them can be really driven by both. She's very much affection driven. Yeah. She, I like, I mean, she'll eat the shit. You put anything out there, she'll gobble that stuff up. But man, what are you feeding her? Like a raw diet? No. Um, it was, it's raw diet. is really hard to do like long term. Like we did that with Argus. We did it for like about two years and it's just hard to maintain. Um, she's on, um, you know, kibble, but we've, you know, we've been pretty, so what I do is I shoot when I shoot deer, oh, uh, I take him the processor, yeah, and then he'll turn them into to ground for the dogs for like I think it's like under a buck a pound, like ninety nine cents a pound. So that that and would, so if that would be I'll, like yeah. I'll gladly uh, yeah. uh, I'll shoot an extra one for her. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. she would like be uh, like, and Andrew and I are starting to plan our uh, our first like hunt. He wants to do a big hunt, so now we're starting to get, you know, and that's the other thing is like shit, man, like still waiting for the guns to clear purgatory. And those were some of the guns that we were going to be using when we go out hunting. And so uh, we had to wait a little bit, but I'm hoping that maybe by the end of this year, maybe one of them comes through. It'd be nice. Well, I think the, the weight on a form four is like for, especially for a, uh, a trust is like 11 months. Yeah. I'm, months. I'm, I'm at like right now I'm at probably 10. Wow. Should be coming soon. Yeah. I just wonder if like those people, like the people that are supposed to be rubber stamping that stuff, just like decided to take off for like the election. Uh, who knows, man? It's like uh, I don't even know. And you know, it's funny too because I forget what I have in there. Like I, I totally don't even know. If you ask me what what is what do I have waiting, I'd be like, mm, I think I've got like one right, maybe two rifles, a suppressor. It's better just to forget about it. Yeah, and then, then it's all a, of a surprise. Sudden you're like, oh, oh, 
look, it's Christmas. Well, I, I, uh, it was uh, last year on Black Friday. Uh, Silencer Co. had that big deal. <coughs> I remember. Yeah, and so I, I went up there and like uh, the guy was like, hey, you know, this one's new. We don't really have any reviews on it, and cut me a deal. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And then they paid the tax stamp. Yeah. Like it was just this incredible deal. And then I forgot about it. And then they hit me up with like a bunch of months later, and I'm like, oh, sweet. Yeah. You know, no. They, they're a great company. I really like them. They do good business. Yeah, I like uh, the hell sounds cool. I, yeah. And uh, the Surefires have been incredible. Yeah, uh, dude, I, 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 I mean, I, I tell people that like every time I get a question, like I, I you always have to caveat it. Like, what do you really want to intend on? What do you sure. want to do with it? Because where Surefire excels is the um, point of aim, point of impact, return to zero. It's yeah. like almost like not like. Yeah, it's like air. There's just air in front of it. There's well, nothing. Uh, I remember uh, Dave Brewer telling me that on their SR25s with the cat cans, mm-hmm. uh, they were guaranteed like like one MOA uh, shift to the right. Yeah, uh, it was like dead no. center, always to the right. And he goes, it was it was clockwork. Like you shoot one, you take it off. You shoot one, it's like boom. You know, an, an inch every time at a hundred. Yeah. Uh, there is zero point impact change, and I've, and I tried it on the Surefires. I'm telling you, man. Uh, you know, you key one, you take it off, you key one, and it's like it's the same. I, I mean, <clears throat> that's the big thing. Then the um, uh, the basically the flash signature. There's yeah. no flash signature. Like there's always everybody thinks that you know that uh, the suppressor that we you know, why we choose suppressors is because we want to reduce the sound signature. I don't give a shit about that. You know, it's not like you can't reduce the sound signature with a with a muzzle velocity of you know 28 2900 feet per second you're not gonna it's supersonic supersonic. you can't do anything about it so fuck it what do you care but but what you can do like that first round shot that has that little spit is a target indicator it's always been a target indicator so if you know if you really want like they may they may hear but in the valley the echo in the valley is like hard to pinpoint well you need two sound or two to to triangulate so once you get that first shot and it's a good hit it's like so for me, it's always been the return. And the third thing that I've really appreciated about Surefire is the ease on and off. Yeah. yeah that that collar. Oh, that my snaps. God. That co- like all the other ones I've played with, some of them are okay. But, I mean, just the ability. I can put it on and take it off with one hand. Yeah. Can't do that with any other suppressor out there. Yeah. So then, you know, and if you're starting to compare the the other the other area that Surefire really dominates is durability. Yeah. Just the the amount of rounds that they can swallow. Like, I've done... Well, didn't they have to do torture test, like, 20,000 yeah. continuous? Well, to get to the SOCOM, to get that yeah. SOCOM kind of um, contract of sorts, the torture test that they had to put those cans through was was torture. Yeah. I mean, like, legitimate torture. Like, I wouldn't want to put my rifle through that, much yeah. less a suppressor. And I have done straight up, I've done like our, our advanced level classes, usually three days, about 2K of rounds. And I've had entire units go through those classes with their cans on the entire time. I mean, 2K of rounds in three days is like... What do you think of uh, um, uh, like the suppressor covers? So it depends. So like... I had the, never seen it until recently. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought it was like a kind of stupid but then i thought about it i'm like well what if you're shooting a bunch and it's hot yeah that's, and like you, you know because i have like an oven mitt yeah that's what i take it yep. off with um and i always thought that like uh, insulating it would uh reduce the life so i wanted it to like have a little, exposure to yeah, the air of course and then but uh i was thinking like if you were shooting and riding in a car or maybe something it might make sense so or uh the heat to reduce the heat coming off of the parallax it's a it's a mirage yeah the mirage. basically the mirage is coming off and what that mirage is doing is just it's you know it's it's it it, it it's distorting your view. 
So maybe my dot is here, maybe my dot is there, mm. because it just depends on where it is in the mirage. So it depends. Like if you're doing close in work, doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you need to be making shots at those kind of like extended ranges, yeah, that mirage can be difficult. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. So if you if, if you have a real need for one, they make a couple of like. Yeah. Low profile ones. Yeah, I saw them, that some of them look kind of obnoxious. So there are some that, uh, like, it, it, it all depends on what you want to do. Do you need to reduce the actual mirage completely? Then there are some that are going to do that. Mm. If you need to just kind of tamp it a little bit and make it a little bit more manageable, then there's the other spectrum. So it just depends on what your ultimate goals. When I was shooting that 308 at the range, uh, the guy sitting next to me, I don't know what he was shooting, uh, maybe a 270. Oh, uh, maybe I it was love hunting that rifle. Yeah, uh, but the whole hilarious part was um, he wasn't shooting suppressed and all. And, and, and so as I'm sitting next to him, I can feel the and, and all I could think of, and I know this sounds so bad, I was like, ah, the peasants. This is how the other half lives. Like, I, I just like, it, it's like, I don't know why it came up because I mean, I even have a muzzle device threaded on my lever action. Oh, Right? So like I, I like, like I took it in and had it threaded so I could put a surefire, you know? Yeah. And so I, uh, like, as a guy who was shooting, I was just like, ah, oh, this is how the other half lives. I'm like, God damn it. I can't believe people are shooting without suppressing. So like when I did rifle classes in there for like almost a year, I had a like I had a lobby to get what I wanted, which was I don't want people to come in with muzzle brakes. I don't want people to come in with SBRs. Um, I don't want people to come in without any muzzle device on their on the rifle for a training class. So to do that, why no SBRs? They're just the overpressurization indoors mm-hmm. is just it's really harsh. Like especially when you're shooting at the firing line with the bat with the unless the you have a suppressor on it, correct? But yeah. no, I can't make everybody come with, with a, suppressor, a suppressor, right? Yeah. So that you know, so yeah, what, what we ended up doing was we actually ended up create we uh, we built two um, two complete rifles and two complete offers that were fitted with um, uh, you know Surefire War Comp with a warden, and so like if you came to the class and you had an SBR, I had a, an SBR upper that was just the upper with the war comp on there and the warden. I could you could shoot that indoors mm-hmm. very easily. So like if you can't get a suppressor, the next best thing is that game warden. Mm-hmm. I love that thing. I have them on like you know like well all my guns that I have most of them all have suppressors on them anyhow but when i travel it's a pain in the ass to travel with the suppressor yeah. so i just travel with the war comp well it's, or actually, the it's actually easier to travel the suppressor than it is with an sbr so so i read and this could be wrong but mm-hmm. i thought i didn't have to get authorization with the with the um suppressor as i did with an sbr as far as i know any any class three you have to okay if it's leaving if it's leaving the residence of where whatever that residence is on your form and it's going outside of like I can't remember what the distance is, but it's de- basically they say it's out of state. Mm-hmm. Then they have to be notified of its new location. Mm. So when I went out to summer or winter strong, I brought my suppressor and like maybe there was no issue with it. But um, I, I thought that suppressors were, but it, it would make sense for the government that they'd just be overarching in that way. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but she's chewing on it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So just I mean, and if you get to know your like my guy is pretty good. Like I can I can get him that stuff, and as long as I get it to him, like and, and my schedule is set. Like I know where I'm going. Sure. I know okay, I'm gonna go. This is my next rifle class, you know. And honestly, I don't travel with them anymore. It's just too much of a pain. Uh, there's not really a lot of value for me traveling with an SBR anymore. So I just travel with a standard, you know, G- GP rifle with a game warden on it. It's a you know, it's it's a 14 and a half inch with that war comp permanently attached, and sure. that just makes such a difference. Sure. Love that thing, man. Yeah. 
I tell people that once you go once you go to that war comp with the capability of putting that warden on, mm-hmm. man. And the other is the warden a suppressor? No, it is. Uh, what it does is it channelizes the blast and it projects that pressure downrange. Mm. So it, it actually is basically... Do you remember the old... Um, Noveski had that warthog? Oh, yeah, the KX3 yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. with the flaming pig? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I had one of those, yeah. and it was awesome. It was. It was like a flamethrower. Yeah, exactly. So they, this is kind of a, the same idea. They, um, it's, it's, it looks like a, uh, it's basically a SOCOM mini body, mm-hmm. but there's no baffling. There's no internal compartments whatsoever. Um, it has, on the end, it has a... Um, basically kind of like a perforated end that has the, the actual hole where the round comes out and then it has some perforated vents that allow the gas to be blown forward. And when you're shooting next to somebody with one of those, it's very comfortable. Like you can, you can be, you know, like my fillings aren't rocking yeah. in, my mo- in my mouth Dude, when I'm shooting next uh, to them. When I was trying to get that laser sighted, this, uh, <laughs> these three people next to me were shooting a, um, like a, a 44 mag. Oh. And then they like, and then they rolled in and like, uh, they were shooting like a 357, 44 mag, like straight up, like, you know, model 29, dirty hairy guns. Oh, Jesus. And as I was sitting there, I'm like on the knee trying to get this. And it's like, and I'm like hearing this, I like look over at the people and like the guy is over there shooting and like, you know, his buddies are behind him and they got a woman who's trying not to kill herself. And like the dude who was, uh, the range, uh, RO came, comes over and he's like rapping with me. And I was like, how's it going? He's like scared to death every day look at these people you I know, know. <laughs> i know i know it's, yeah. it is a little it is a little it can be a little nerve-wracking but yeah that and once we once we did that it opened up the door for us to do rifle classes we did so many rifle classes after that nice yeah because it, you know if a customer came in or a student came in and they didn't have the equipment it was no problem like we reduced almost all barriers to entry yeah and i love those guns those guns were great guns they are were, you gonna run any more uh, rifle classes or anything um so my agreement with the range is only to do advanced level classes there so we do our uh, force on force our solo cqb our integrated combatives all of those classes we do there now nice yeah so it's kind of nice so i do like uh, one class a quarter right now but that might change for next year we might add like extra classes just because um there's there's an there's a demand now. Like as soon as we sure. did those first classes, the solo CQB and the um, uh, force on force, people were like, "Oh man!" Um, well, can uh, we get into each one of those? Yeah, talk, I don't well, know. What I, the hell I, I'm was, about. I was going to say uh, I haven't done a, uh, one of your classes in a while. Uh, I was gonna, so I'm going to look on the list and I'm going to sign up. <laughs> the uh, yeah the the force on force is fun because you're you're getting a chance to to yeah. take your skill set your knowledge, skills, and your attitude and actually interact with another human that has a role to play. Their, their, their script is very specific to kind of channel you down a road that you are forced to make decisions. Sure. You know, like, is this a deadly force or is this non-deadly force? Do I need to escalate? Do I need to de-escalate? How do I manage? And I'll tell you the two biggest things that I tell people is verbal agility, being able to actually talk to another human and, and have a, like a conversation that you can control uh, and maybe not control, but you can at least not escalate. Sure. Right. And then, um, after that is, uh, being, being comfortable enough with your skill that you, like you can tell the people that are not quite as comfortable because they're their go-to solution for just about everything is to go to their gun. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it may be the right choice given the circumstances. It could be the right choice, but it's very rarely the only choice. Sure. 
Sure. No, so, it sounds like a blast. Yeah, that, that one is a good time. I remember John Van Holt, who was uh, one of the uh, sergeants for HPPD, who was a, a buddy of ours trained and would come by all the time, would always make a funny point. He's like, the amount of uh, uh, times that a sense of humor has diffused a situation. Oh, dude. He's like, uh, he goes, man, I've been in stressful situations where people are about to get shot. He's like, I crack a joke, everything's fine, and everybody de-escalates. He's like, a good sense of humor and a good wit uh, will help I'm you through a lot you, of situations. Man, you got it, you got it. it, it there's, a, there's, a, there's like a couple of really tried and true methods that can help de-escalate those tense moments. One of which is being empathetic. You know, like maybe, maybe you know, maybe there is some some root issues that are coming to the surface and you happen to be right there about it, you know, being empathetic to maybe the guy just got fired, maybe, uh, you know, his dog just died or whatever, you know, having a little bit of empathy can go a long way there. Then, you know, excluding that, being able to verbally talk to people and use humor or, or use in some cases just, you know, like just sometimes just the ability to listen. Sure. That can go so far. And I tell, you know, I tell people like, hey, if you're if you're if you're you want to you want to really work at de-escalating a situation, repeat the last word of whatever that guy just told you. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he's like really animated and really pissed off and the last word was, um, you know, dumpster fire, repeat dumpster fire. And it it acknowledges the fact that you're listening to him mm-hmm. and it encourages him to elaborate on what the issue is. Mm-hmm. And that can really help kind of like, oh, shit, this person's actually listening to me. They're not being a dick. They're actually kind of listening. Now, I'm not saying that that's that that that, that could also still, you know, shit yeah. can still go sideways on you. But if there's the opportunity to deescalate, that is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It really right. is. If Validation. The, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, you know, just the fact that that opportunity is there and you took it because you don't really lose any you don't really lose anything. You like if you haven't gone to guns already you're not really losing any tactical advantage by doing that mm-hmm. unless he's like, you know, crazy. And, you know, the other one I, t- um, I always read too was, um, and maybe, I've, you know, I experienced this is like, I think, uh, people have some like imaginary view version of their ego that has to be somehow nurtured. So like the whole thing of like, uh, you know, in a fight, if we can deescalate and maybe somebody slighted me or, you know, like, yeah. uh, but I was able to avoid uh, either a legal or a, a, you know, a deadly situation where I might have to actually kill somebody. I'm like, I would much rather uh, feel that like, you know, uh, my inner child wasn't nurtured and like this person like, you know, was a little rude or I had to kind of retreat a little bit yeah, just to avoid the fact that like, this is a, uh, you know, a legal problem that's going to fucking hound me for the rest of my life. And I yeah. think sometimes people don't have that foresight, man, you know, and coming from a family of attorneys, like I got to see <laughs> like, like how, you know, like Absolutely. keeping it real goes wrong. Kind of fuck. they're and like, you know, that idea of like, Hey man, like, uh, maybe, you know, like check your ego a little bit, or maybe a kick to the balls is a little bit better than like the 10 years that you're going to have to deal with this, Dude, you know? So like in, uh, in a kind of like a self-defense context, there are like three egos that typically get talked a lot about. There's the child, the parent, and the adult, right? And the child is, as you might imagine, somebody that's unruly, doesn't listen well, rebels, blah, blah, blah. The adult, um, or I'm sorry, the parent is the kind of like domineering, um, you know, uh, objective-driven kind of, you know, that type. And and the adult is the more open-minded, level-headed, manageable kind of scenario. So of those three egos, you know, obviously we don't really want to be a child, 
But the problem that a lot of that I think you're talking about is when people confuse being the adult with being the parent. Like there's the, the parent and trying to be a parent in a situation like that is probably not ideal. You're sparking both those kind of like egos of on both parties. But if you're more of the adult and you're more open minded and level headed and then you can take that empathy and the listening skills and the verbal agility you have a much better chance. And I tell people, man, any day that you go home that you didn't have to shoot somebody is a good day. <laughs> is a damn yeah. good day. And so, so you're working with law enforcement, military, and then also civilian self-defense or like who, who are you working with in this context? Uh, so that the, the, the classes are open, open enrollment. So anybody, any background, as long as you're legally able to own a firearm, um, you can participate. But most of the time, the predominant student is going to be the private citizen. Yeah. 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 So most of the time. Firearm owner, citizen, and they're in it for yep. self-defense, de-escalation, just... I think at the time... Proficiency, the, things like that? Well, most of the students that register for the force-on-force class don't really have a true appreciation because they haven't really done one before. Mm-hmm. So they're not really sure what they're getting themselves into. A lot of times it's like, okay, it sounds good on paper. Oh, I'm going to interact with other people. And then you, you you add the pressure of like the simunitions, which is the paint marking cartridge that we shoot. Which still hurt. Yeah. I don't Wait. know if you've ever, guys have ever been shopped with not Sims, no. but Damn it still it, fucking yeah. hurts. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, it's just pain. I'm like, no, it, it, it stings. It does. Yeah. So like there's a pain threshold that you have to manage in there. And like the first time that somebody does something wrong and they get shot in the scenario and the, you know, you have that sting effect. It's a lingering effect in the future evolutions that you do. I bet. And you so gunshot. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, is that that forces that can sometimes force you to making the wrong choices. Right. Sure. Right. Then, and that's where that the adult versus the parent kind of ego thing has to really step in. So most of the time, the students that register for the class are, um, are um, enamored with the idea of having to interact with another human and try to figure out, okay, you know, how do I do this? How, what's the best way? Cause a lot of times we have forgotten, we, you know, we become so used to texting and calling on these things that we don't really actually interact face to face anymore. Right. You know, that's like a, that's like a bygone skill of sorts, being or, able to talk. I guess if you do, you don't realize there's like an effective way to do it. True. Right? And there's like ineffective things, <laughs> yeah, body yeah. language you can pick up on. And, a lot of know. that. I mean, there's so many little things that uh, we talk about in the class. You know, body language is a big big thing. You know, being able to um, read body language and start to anticipate like, you know, the, the, the subtle escalation cues that the bad guys mm. telegraphing to you. Like they're there. Are those like, are those primal? You know what I mean? Like, or, um, or is... they can be, but a lot of times they're also premeditated. Okay. Like in other words, the bad guy is cueing you up. Like or teeing you up, right? He's 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 well, kind it's of a, it's role playing. Yeah, yeah, it is in in the in a real sense. Sure. In a real sense, so you know, little examples can be um, uh, like targeting. So they might do something where they kind of like will reach out and kind of like touch you or or maintain some sort of physical contact with you, and that's targeting. Okay, that means that they know exactly where your body is in a kinesthetic kind of point of view, so they know how they they know they have a much higher chance of landing a punch or landing a strike because they already know like where your calculate. body is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, that's it's called measuring, you know, sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh-huh. No, sorry. but, but like measuring distance, like, like I know, like it's kind of like yeah. uh, with the knife, like yeah. they were talking about, uh, in Philly, how they shot that dude allegedly that came at him with a knife 
And people are like, well, why don't they shoot him in the leg? And I'm like, have you ever watched any of like, <laughs> so, so what, what was cool about t- doing Tony's, uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh deal, when, love Tony. um, of course, I mean, but, uh, when we went to that, yeah. remember he had at the range yeah. when he was showing those videos of how fast a person Dude. with a knife can close the distance. It, it had to be 15 yards. Like this dude, like had his gun, went to draw, and this guy covered this distance and stabbed him. And you're like, Jesus, I didn't realize like how close. Like, it, like it's it, it's a known it's a known yeah. entity of sorts, and 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 like that is a big one. Um, target glancing is another one. So like a uh, target glance might be um, like they're looking at something. That, that's a subliminal clue like like in their head they're thinking like you you see this a lot with uniformed officers because they have their gun belt that's open to the public right it's visible mm-hmm. unlike a concealed carrier that has it concealed so target glancing would mean like i'm looking at you and then at the last second i look down at the gun and the holster and then i look back at you so i've just in my head what i've done is i've actually relayed to you non-verbally that the gun is of interest to me that means that potentially there's a gun grab scenario on my mind right and so thinking like being able to recognize that target glancing is is another important thing Mm -hmm. you know there's all these other the the primal ones could be everything from like blading uh there's blade in your body you know so you kind of get more of a combative fighting stance Mm -hmm. then there's uh, some of the ones that are kind of like really hard to sometimes pick up on because yeah. it's difficult as like the eyes start to dilate. Oh, okay. They get a lot bigger. The pupils get a lot bigger. Yeah. Respiratory rate can increase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can see uh, like you can see skin coloration changes at times. You can yeah, see like that. Yeah, exactly. You can see that kind of change that, and that's, that's the fight or flight cocktail, the, the chemical cocktail that's starting to come yeah. to them. Um, there is a great video. It's like, like a great teaching video to watch. And it was a uh, small town. I don't know what the town was nowadays, but um, the the sheriff decided that he was going to take a shift during the day on Christmas to let his deputies go home, be with their families. And so he goes out on the road and starts patrolling the road and he pulls over somebody and he's going through a field sobriety and come to find out that the, you know, the driver was intoxicated. But they had developed a good rapport during this time period. And when the sheriff decides that he's going to place him under arrest, <clears throat> you can see the demeanor of the, the bad guy change instantly, mm-hmm. right? When he realized, when the bad guy realized that he was going to go to jail, it was like big time change. And so some of those cues that you can see if you watch the video is the first cue was the facial expression change. Mm-hmm. Like it went from happy talking, like we're having a good time, we're joking about stuff, and then it just changed. Right. Very. It's it's easy to pick up on that one. Then the next one was he literally bladed his body. Mm -hmm. Right. He bladed his body. Uh, And then the next one. And this is one that's very common is clenched fist. Mm -hmm. He clenched his fist instead of being in a, you know, kind of like more relaxed state. His fist clenched. And the last one. And I kid you not, this is actually on the video. He rolls up his sleeves (laughs) like he's literally. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, uh, sheriff glances away, sucker punch, the other to the ground. It's it's kind of like an ass beat. Also, the sheriff miss, misses all the cues. All of those. Yeah. Never wow. picked up on any of them. And he's getting a beating. Luckily, he when he went back to his vehicle to um, contact his dispatch, you know, there was a deputy that was in the area and kind of realized it had been a while since, you know, sheriff probably did anything on the road. So he went to just, you know. Check in. Be there as a backup. And he rolls in just as the sheriff's getting, you know, the first couple of melee 
punches and kicks on the ground because he fell to the ground. And you can't see the sheriff anymore. He's below the dashboard camera. Yeah, but you see the dude dropping halos yeah, on. Oh, yeah. And then you see this this dude just come from nowhere and just like Beat beautiful in-air form tackle. Just <laughs> wham! Took that guy down. It was beautiful. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot of... Some of them are primal and some of them are, are a little bit more objective-driven. Yeah. Target yeah. glancing is objective-driven kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. And I guess the sleeve roll. Oh, God. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I think, think back in the heyday, cavemen were rolling up their horns. Yeah, box, no, right? no, no, probably not. So yeah, there's there's a lot of those cues that people just don't really kind of pick up on. And I mean, that's why that's why that class is successful is because it helps people can read about that sort of stuff. Like you can find all sorts sure. of document literature, books, and stuff on it. But until you actually experience it in real time, because that's right. another problem. And you can watch it on YouTube. Well, you can watch it on YouTube, but, but it's different right. than when oh, you yeah. are really in that situation yeah, yeah. and you're feeling all those 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 feels. Yeah, and you're doing you know the similar responses to those responses. Oh my god, right? yeah. So it's like that was another thing. We saw a lot of folks that brandish their firearms. Mm-hmm. Right. And here in Texas, um, brandishing is what's referenced as deadly intent. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's breaking the law. It, so wait, uh, is brandishing actually like drawing the, the weapon? Depends. So this is the problem, too. There's a little bit of here kind of. Go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like all the lawyers. Right. Exactly. You know, uh, it, it depends. And a lot of that is kind of like, uh, what's the situation? Like yeah. if if, uh, if you if you've had um, so in a deadly force situation, there are three key ingredients that have to be present. The means, the intent, and the opportunity. Um, if the means, intent, and opportunity are present and you draw the gun to a ready position, you're not brandishing, right? But if any one of those ingredients is missing, theoretically, you could be brandishing, and that is deadly intent. So the other person would have means to like, legally object to that and and they they would be legally on the high ground in a sense like mm-hmm. if they if you if they didn't if if the if all three of those components weren't you know concrete in that situation then you potentially you know you're leaving it up to the jury in a sense uh, well that i mean uh, but brandishing would be uh, actually drawing the firearm Not, it could be it could, so it it's the, that's where the definition gets a little if the opponent believes that his life is in danger or jeopardy, then that could be brandishing. So in other words, like, let's just say that you're concealed. Well, uh, that happened to me at uh, Styles and Switch. I was waiting. I, I had um, a firearm on my hip, uh-huh. um, had a shirt over it, and uh, um, I was with my son. We were waiting in line, and he, like, uh, was climbing on the rail, goes to fall. I go to catch him and pick him up, yeah, yeah. and the guy behind me is like, I can see your gun. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and? Uh, I, and and the, the, the guy was like, kind of like, um, I mean, obviously uh, not a gun owner, right. uh, was like a, a little weird about it and was like, well, I, you know, I shouldn't be able to see it. And I was like, well, Texas is an open carry state. Yeah. And on top of it, like, what, there's, there, what are you nervous about here? Yeah, exactly. So, and, and so I, I, uh, I realized, I thought, um, you know, coming from California, everybody in Texas owned a gun and was pretty cool with it mm. until I was downtown at Styles and Switch and some dude's losing his mind because... Did uh, you roll I, up your sleeves? <laughs> no, it, it, it like, I've come to the conclusion that... Um, <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that, uh, like, a lot of people aren't interested in having an intelligent conversation with somebody that's, like trying to work through this they're just polarized and it's either this way and there's no 
opportunity to have a like a, an interesting discussion like that guy being like well it's an open carry state like so, you know what like you you know you're sitting here staring at my backside like my son goes to fall and i, and I, I snatch yeah, him up and yeah. like you know like there was no intent you just happened to observe i'm like i assume everybody in texas has a gun <laughs> and the amount of like in a pickup truck <laughs> like this, this is crazy the amount of times i pulled up at a light looked down because i'm raised and looked into somebody's car and seen a gun a truck gun either on the back seat or the front seat yeah yeah is probably like not every time I drive, but like pretty often. So yeah. I just assume people in Texas like have something in their car, have something on their person. And like, that's just, I, I just assume that in, I will state that in Texas driver's ed, you're taught that and very selectively using your horn. <laughs> so I do I recall yeah. that yeah. and just assume that everyone has a truck gun. Yeah. That was the, the quote yeah. from the curriculum. And then yeah, that's a good idea. very selective yeah. in your honking. So in that, in that situation, <clears throat> in that situation, um, and you're right, when in I think it was uh, 2018 when we became an open carry state, yeah. uh, the reason for the open carry was to, in a sense, nullify that type of situation. A, a gust of wind blows and yeah. my shirt moves, my jacket moves. I bend over to pick something up and I accidentally, you know, show the fact that I have a gun on me. And so that uh, prior to that, the law would have identified that as brandishing. But now uh, it's, it is in a sense, just an open carry. Now, if your hand was on the gun, if there was a discussion with the, uh, the, the person, uh, all of that then can kind of snowball into brandishing. Well, um, I personally, and like, I don't, I constitutionally, I don't, I'm sure you have a a opinion about it, but um, I'm, not a fan of open carry and the, and yeah. because the people that I've seen open carry, I'm like, first of all, how did you get this gun? <laughs> and like, you know, who tied your shoes and let you out of the house this morning? <laughs> um, it's just to me, like, it just, I, I don't know. Like, um, I understand you're, you know, exercising your, yeah. you know, your right to do this, but like the amount of people I think that are looking for confrontation or looking to make a statement, I'm like, hey, man, if you want to own a gun, just put it away. It makes people nervous. I mean, the guy just saw me, my shirt lift up, yeah, and the guy yeah, like yeah. almost lost his mind and left the restaurant. So then all of a sudden you see a dude come in strapped with, like, you know, a musket on his back with, like, a bayonet. <laughs> and it's like, ah, you know? So, like, I, I, know what you're I, saying. I get your constitutional right, and I'm, I'm all for, you know, people having the rights and do what they want. But, like, I'm also, uh, like, there's, um, uh, like, don't make everything some fucking political piece. So, in... in I have like two points to that. Number one, I disagree with any any action that marginalizes a, a right, a constitutional right, and so you know I'm 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 not happy with uh, a state that requires me to go through a process to exercise a constitutional right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like that. Um, from a tactical point of view, I don't agree with open carry. Yeah. I don't. Well, I yeah, think, you don't want anybody to know what you got. Well, I don't want people to know that I have a gun, but also at the same time. Most of the people that are open carrying can fall into one of two categories. Mm. Somebody that knows better and still does it and somebody that doesn't know better and is doing doing it. (laughs) Exactly. That's, I mean, what it will like somebody that knows better and is still doing it is doing it maybe because they're trying to prove a point. Mm -hmm. They're trying to exercise. What what, what is the practical purpose of an open carry? So it it, could be theoretically it's more, a more accessible weapon. So it is like, and like when, um, when I left the Navy, I I lived in Arizona and Arizona back then was an open carry state and it's not anymore. No, it is, but now it's a constitutional carry state. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. You don't even need a... Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. But, but back then, I, I moved from California to Arizona, so it was a pretty... Yeah. Talk about a culture shock, right? Yeah, shocker. Yeah. Um, and you see it everywhere. 
And the, the big, the, a big reason that you'll see it, particularly in rural states, is because of working out on property. Right. right. Working out in well, your property, if, driving if you, to and from town. Yeah, like if you drive out in the sticks, yeah. you know, outside of town. Like yeah, um, I, I, I was driving down to Bernie to go yeah. see Rob and Nikki, and we stopped, and there was yeah. probably three dudes with uh, some form of revolver on their hip. Yeah, it's, and it's just you're out in the country, it, it and, you know, if you go to the feed store, the dude's got a gun on his hip. And, and it's just it's, it's, it's part of the culture here. You know, yeah. it really is. But in the city, it's a little different. In the city, it is a little different. Cities supposed to be civilized and of course city populations uh, cities with the higher populations typically also have the higher crime rates which is an interesting kind of statistic there but um from a um from a tactical point of view i don't i don't agree with it simply because you you are you are kind of like uh you're drawing attention to yourself sure. which is the exact opposite of what you want to do for from somebody that conceals. Well, you don't want the dude kicking in the door to grease you in the face. They're like, hey, that dude over there's got a gun. Get him first. <laughs> and it, I mean, the likelihood of that happening is kind of like it's on the low end of the spectrum, but it's 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 possible, just not probable. But really what happens is you run into this situation where you can escalate a situation that didn't need to be escalated because sure. you were open carrying. Like somebody can easily approach you and start to have a conversation. You get heated. They get heated. All of a sudden it's, it's, it's accelerating and it doesn't need to. You know, that, that conversation didn't need to happen at all because if you were carrying concealed, you wouldn't have to. And then I go back to the fact that, you know, again, I don't approve of anything that marginalizes the constitutional right. It's, it shouldn't be, there, there shouldn't be any kind of licensing requirement. Now, with that being said, I do sympathize with your point of view about what it. I'm, I'm not scratching her enough. John, come so on, I'm, damn it! I'm, uh, she wants her ears scratched, not her back rubbed. Which is she's, funny because I found that dude, if she gets her like her ears scratched, she doesn't make a noise. She she's so vocal. She literally can talk to you. She she has like different intonations of her of her voice that will tell you she's got to go to the bathroom. She wants to feed, yeah, or funny. she just wants love. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, you were saying that uh, the constitutional rights should not be infringed, right? Well, but but. I also believe that it is a responsibility right. that we want we want to encourage people to actually educate and train themselves. Sure. And that's that's the only thing that we can do is mm -hmm. is like we can encourage people to to be responsible gun owners, educate themselves on all facets of firearms ownerships and to include, you know, self-defense. And then if we have that as our bedrock then we have a society that's well informed on firearms and how to use them. And more than likely, you're going to see a, a much politer society where the use of a firearm is probably going to start to actually come down. So I've always kind of like, and I've had this conversation with several different people, but I believe the only way to do that is through incentivizing people. Mm -hmm. Like right now, uh, if you come to the state, you can go and take your LTC and in 30, 45 days, you can get your license. And that is good for, like, there's certain places that you can't take a gun and uh, certain things you can't do with the gun. And, and It's like the, what is it, like 51% right, alcohol right, inside right. of a bar. But if they sell food and they don't make 51% yeah. of, of their money from that. <laughs> Which, incidentally, unrelated, well, kind of related. Now that the, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm, right now I'm not a big fan of Governor Abbott and his um, forced closures of restaurants and bars. Sure. And so right now, if you're a bar, the only way that you can stay open is if you actually serve food more than you serve booze. Mm -hmm. So a 51% rule right now almost doesn't exist because if the bar wants to be open for business, yeah, they got to serve food. So that 51 rule is kind of like right now, not, not really that it's not, it's not out there, but anyhow, um, 
So if you can incentivize people to try to, to take that extra step, like getting an LTC doesn't really take a lot. You know, it's, it's six hours and you're done and it's 45 days later, you've and got it. it's super it. interesting. Um, it, yeah. Like, like it, it's informative. It and, is. Um, like I, uh, I took it at the range. Um, I also had a license to carry in California, which was like an act of God to get. For sure. Uh, but um, so I was, you know, because they give away so few of those. But uh, it, it's, it's like I always think like... Um, if the only investing you do into terms of your knowledge with guns and whatnot is to buy more guns, yeah, like we have a serious problem. Like that's a good point. Uh, you know, like uh, the amount of people, like like we were, we were talking about, like what's a acceptable amount of ammunition per weapon mm. is the way I kind of look at it. Like, hey, if like if if I have five five six, how much do I need? Yeah, you know, if I shoot nine mil, this is what I need. And like I always have kept, and it came from um, actually after Sandy Hook. Yeah. So when Sandy Hook happened and all of a sudden there was like no ammo on shelves, yeah. I remember thinking like I never want, want to have yeah. in, in, uh, in, you know, to, to be at a deficit. So then I would like set up alerts and when things would go on sale, you kind of just strategically buy things in a good deal. And over the course of the years, you just end up like having stockpile. a yeah, stockpile. It's good. But um, the one thing and we've laughed about, you know, people that we know where it's like, you know, they're always obsessed with buying this and this, but yet they never train with that mm-hmm. and they don't even have enough ammo to even make it a useful situation. I'm like, that thing's going to be a club. <laughs> so There's like, much better melee weapons. Well, but but the, <laughs> the thing about it is like the, um, you know, as a respite, you know, like if you read the Second Amendment, you know, and you go into the whole, you know, thou shall not be infringed. But like the idea of calling out the militia and being, you know, skilled. Yeah, that that was impactful for me and being for like, sure. Well, as a gun owner, if I want to be a gun owner and I want to be, you know, to exercise my constitutional rights, there is responsibility of me as the individual to not only be proficient, but to be well-trained in the case that the militia gets called out. Just I like, couldn't agree with you more. You know, the Second Amendment isn't there so I can be a gun dork and just buy a bunch of stuff and then fucking get well, all you, hot and bothered when you, you crack. Could. Well, you could, but, but that's not the only goal. I, I feel like that is a much better interpretation yeah. because it has substance. Yeah. Like, what if I have to do this? Yeah. What if, am I ready to do well, this? I mean, am I, you know, do I have the reason that the second this? amendment comes second before the first was that the second was put in place to guarantee the, the first. first. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like, hey, we have freedom of speech. You want to take a sec- freedom of speech? Then we have this second amendment deal coming up. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Well, our founding fathers, man, like, um, it, whenever I hear people being like, oh, the Constitution's outdated, we should do this <laughs> and this, I always think back, like, the... The foresight that our founding fathers had in the way this was created, like it's it's, like, it's, it's really ingenious. I th- like there's few documents that exist that have as much forethought and like intelligence written into them. Very few like that ex- that that exist. But um, back to that incentive incentivizing because I'm 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 a firm believer in this. If if we made the LTC process the way it is right now and left it alone, um, there's, there'd probably be a lot of people that would go and do it. But if we made another level to that LTC, right? So, and, and part of that level, getting that LTC is that you have to show some sort of record of education, right? Sure. You know, continued education. So, you know, level one is just what you need to do, what, what we've all done to get our LTC. No big deal, Right. I mean, it's a good it's a good program, and then level two. Now you have to go out and do maybe sixteen hours of continued education, documented, and then that shows that you've actually kind of gone out and done something to improve your capacity. And then there would be a level above that, a level level three, where maybe it's forty hours. And if you sustain forty hours on a yearly basis, 
then you're at this level, this tier three level. And each of these tiers grants you new access or new permissions, if you will, that allow you to kind of do things that the lower level tiers don't. And in anything, if you incentivize something, people are more inclined to kind of push, ah, I, you know. What, what incentives do you think would be over the two and the three? I would say like, uh, like some places that are prohibited, like places that you can't carry, yeah. they, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they would only be applicable to tier one maybe. Um, other things could be like, um, uh, you know, extra preferential tr- kind of like treatment of sorts in different settings. Like maybe there's, uh, you know, we've sat down and kind of come up with a litany of different kind of incentives, but the one that I feel like is the best is location. Like being able, oh, being able to carry in different locations that are prohibited if, you know, that might be prohibitive. And that, that would obviously get a lot of pushback. You know, sure. people would be like, well, but, you know, it, yeah, I get it. But this person has demonstrated a higher level of understanding and commitment. And so there, there should be a recognition and an acknowledgement of that, and that should come with certain privileges. Mm-hmm. And if it does, more people would be inclined to do that. And you know what? After a while, all the people that are opposing it all the time are just going to eventually realize that, you know what? I've, I've probably had a misguided view on this. And actually, these people are actually probably pretty smart and know what they're doing and it's not that big a deal. It's, it, it, you know, they still could disagree with philosophically, but there's really no basis for it. Like, in other words, there's no, like, well, these people are more, more prone to having gunfights. These people are more prone to shooting their guns in public. These people are more prone to, you know, whatever. That's always been the argument. Yeah, no, I, well, it's, um, I'm always amazed that, uh, you know, one political party will always harp on this uh, you know, hey, we got to you know limit gun rights and we got to ban AR-15s and all that deal. And you're like, well, you know, most of the gun violence comes from pistols, <laughs> but yet they don't like it. It's uh, it, like it feels like um, the statements are like are polarizing and are statements that people want to be true. But when you look at the information, it's you're so like, I you know, I saw well, the you know Biden, Biden come out and say, hey, you know what, uh, we're gonna you know uh, universal background checks. Well, we have those. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, that you can, you know, I, I guess here in Texas you can do a face-to-face. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, for most states, they have to have a transfer that goes yeah. through an FFL, and you have to have some form of background. Uh, then they were, like, banning AR-15s and high-capacity mags, and I'm like, I, I, like, it just... None of that matters. No, it, it doesn't. And, and, and then truthfully, look, if we, if we want to have an honest discussion about gun violence, first of all, you got to take the gun out of that. Because it's not guns that are the most common things that are committing violence. No, it's knives. <laughs> well, it's More actually killed knives and yeah, it's blunt objects. Yeah. More people are killed with blunt objects: sticks, hammers, stones, rocks, pipes. you know, pipes, yeah. bats, golf clubs. It, you know, so if if any of like the moment that somebody starts going down that road, it's an agenda. My brother's uh, my brother's uh, got appointed on a case where he's representing an ex professional baseball player who killed his. Uh, uncle and the dad and maybe the mom with a Louisville slugger. Ooh. Um, he was like a top-round draft pick, ended up getting into drugs, whatever. Yeah. They sent him away, 5150, came back in the house and basically teed him up with a Louisville slugger and killed three people with it. Yeah, that's going to be hard and, to get uh, out of. Like, my brother's like, the pictures? Graphic. That dude could hit away. Yeah, he could. Like, and, and he was like, dude, you know. That's his so, tool of the trade. Yeah, I mean, so there's a... Uh, and uh, he's like, you know, like, my brother's kind of like, oh, well, you know, if somebody wants to do something... 
uh, what probably, can you do? This, this is, do it. This is the least it. humane way to do it. You know, I, it's like, and, and all you have to do is study history. You know, I mean, the, the advent of the firearm is relatively recent in our human history. You know, humans have been killing humans for well, I mean, eons. geez, it was like uh, 1870 was like the cult peacemaker. I mean, what was it? Uh, you know, God made men, cult made them equal. Kind yeah, of a deal. Yeah, but yeah. that was like 1870 yeah, with yeah. that revolver. Yeah. What is it? That's the, only a couple the gun that won years. the West? Yeah, yeah, that's only a couple hundred years. When you think about our, our gender, like how long we've been around, violence is not new. Well, violence I mean, has been around the for The largest it. killer was Genghis Khan, and they didn't use guns. They <laughs> nope. used arrows. They used and arrows horses. and swords. Yeah, and yeah. swords. And they would drive, uh, you know, like a herd of 10,000 horses through a village. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to recover from being trampled by a horse. I mean, it's not there's not a lot you can do with that. But, you know, that's the thing. Whenever I see somebody that wants to have a conversation, look, I'm, a, I'm always open to talking about things like I feel like that's one of the areas that we really kind of have lost our way is communicating. And so I'm willing to communicate and talk and have a conversation about these things. And the first thing that I, I want to make sure of is, is that, listen, if you're going to if you're going to sit at the table and have a conversation with me, it can't be based around emotion. You've got to be, I mean, I, I, I recognize that it can be, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that you can't be emotional about your feelings, but you can't use emotion to govern your thoughts in that mm-hmm. sense. You've got to be able to come to the table with something that's like logical, fact-based, mm-hmm. truth-driven you know, driven that we can, we can agree on. Or Otherwise, at least, at least be able to delineate that, something, right? Yeah. Like delineate like, your emotional responses. I'm from good. Your... Like if, if, if a gun brings a visceral response out of you, okay, well, let's talk about that. Why, why, why do you have that feeling? Because is it, is it, is, is there something that, you know, like there, there's the possibility that that visceral response has nothing to do with the fact that it's a gun. Mm-hmm. It's something else. It's a traumatic experience. It just, oof, you know, I can't even get into that discussion. I can't get into the playing field to talk about it. And I can appreciate that. And I mean, there's a lot of people that have had been subject of various types of violent acts as a result of somebody else using some, some something else. It could, it could be anything. But, like, coming to the table and just having these, like, these kind of like these topics, these not topics, these these bullet points, if you will, no pun intended, about, you know, crime and, and what really happens and, and, and all this other stuff, to me, really means that I'm, I'm talking to somebody that is one of two. It, they're either ill-informed or they're ignorant, right? And, and if, they're, if they're ignorant, they have an option to become literate. It's option, right? If they're ill-informed, it's just maybe they've got the wrong information. You know, maybe the information the text gave you was actually wrong, but you know text and you believe him, so you take it for words for, for face value. Right, right. And that happens a lot. I mean, gosh, the regurgitation of that information is so prevalent, especially in the gun industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, let's try to figure out what's going on. Like, I always try to tell people that I'm, I, I could be wrong. My views are my views. They're based on my observations and my experience. But they could be wrong. If you have information that is valuable that can help change my view, well, I want to hear it. I'm open to hearing it. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to side with you. Right, right. But that's my point. Like, if I'm willing to have this kind of, like, be that vulnerable and say, well, I could be wrong, and let's, let's hear your point of view. Let's hear your arguments. Let's, let's kind of figure out what's going on here, and let me make my own decision. Let me make my informed decision based on the information that you're giving me. I, I have a question. Yeah. So context here. Growing up, uh, I mentioned driver's ed earlier. Yeah, yeah. Now going back to public school, we had two forms of education towards I guess we can call it violence so we had dare and then we had what was called great gang resistance education and training 
Great. Wow. Great stuck out to me because, I mean, thinking back now when you're speaking logic and emotion, we're from like fifth grade to high school. In high school, the, the, the principal, this is the only piece I remember, principal would like go to each classroom and take his time and he would bring out every weapon that he's ever confiscated outside of guns <laughs> from a student yeah. in his school principal career. <laughs> Holy cow. So we had, man, 50 of these objects. I got the image still in my mind that he was aiming to just appeal emotionally to make this point. But, uh, give us some details. I'm always interested. Whips, uh, chains, whistles, yo-yos, circus bags, give me the finger. I love when people uh, like makeshift homemade kind of like these like anarchist weapons uh, it was all that, i am yeah. fascinated like when you see this stuff and you're like dude this guy like uh you know like the uh the age-old potato gun with like a bunch of nails in the potato which we built a uh, potato gun in high school yeah yeah and uh we stuffed the potato and then we put nails in the potato yeah, yeah. and we uh shot a uh stop sign with it oh my god and um the stop sign obliterated hey. like like Reset. it it like didn't cease to exist and at that point we were like oh my god these are like you know, the end of the world, like, you know, hey, let's make some potato guns with nails in them. Well, it definitely can get the point across. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. like, uh, you know, taking, like, baseball bats and putting nails through so them. Do you like, remember what, like, anything? All, all, all the baseball bats and, like, handmade shanks and, like, n not brass knuckles, but just, like. Knuckle dusters. Knuckle dusters. Yeah, yeah. All this, this crazy. Well, you know, those are legal to carry in Texas. Yeah. Well, not in 2000. Well, they are now. That's why, yeah. <laughs> Picked you uh, guys up I, some, and, <laughs> so we have well, those. <laughs> as soon as they became legal, I yeah, hit yeah. this dude up, and I was like, "I need him for the team." Like everybody needs these. He's yeah, a great it's between like us driving around with him and some fifteen-year-old kid in high school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I but, get it. But we had essentially a point of the school district was to invest heavily in this, and I recall I, I can't remember everything, but it very emotionally based. So is there an age from your experience as a father to where you shift from emotional appeal to like a logical appeal mm -hmm. or do you always cite on logic as you've been educating your kids to handle and understand firearms? I, I don't think emotion has any place in this kind of a environment. I don't because it, everything has to be governed by logic. The, 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 the taking of another human's life has to be governed by logic. In other words, the means, intent, and opportunity. There's plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of times when it's emotional-based, like when you are pissed, angry, like crimes of passion, things like that. But that's what we want to avoid. We want to be as emotionless as we possibly can as we make this decision to possibly end another human's life. And that, to me, can't be based in, in emotion. It's got to be based in logic. In other words, means, intent, opportunity has to be there. I've got to have, I've got to be comfortable because I've got to live with my actions. Never mind the fact of what's going to happen in the courts. I have got to live with myself the rest of my life in my actions or inactions. Well, I mean, but I mean, even look at um, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse kid. Uh, they're, yeah. they're holding him on $2 million bail. And, um, you know, he's, you know, uh, you know put him like... Man, like I, I had so many. I mean, we talked about that pretty extensively. Like, um, you know, people are like, "Oh, he's." I'm like, regardless of whether or not he's justified, seventeen-year-old kids should. I feel sorry that he had to put himself or was even in that situation because that will follow him for the next 
forever. 70 years of his life forever, he will have this, pl- this polarized right place wrong. in history, right or wrong. Exactly. And, and like that was the, arg- or not the argument, but my statement to people is like, as a father, to have this like 17-year-old kid be in this situation and have to act in the way that he did, regardless if it's right or wrong and you think he was justified or not or however it works, like this will forever alter the trajectory of his life. And he will have to like, and, and you know, and the thing, and they're like, oh, he was doing this. And I'm like, as a parent, I'd be like, I know this is righteous, but But no, (laughs) get the fucking, get the fuck in the car. You are, you are my child. Absolutely. And like, I've, I've, uh, I couldn't agree with you. I've had this conversation numerous times. I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, even when you guys are over the 18, you're still going to be my kids. Yeah. And if I tell you, I'm bigger and stronger. If I tell you to get in the fucking car, get in the car. I don't care if you're 36, 46 or 56, you're going to get in the fucking car when dad tells you what to do. And, um, and like, uh, like I think the problem, and I, I, I always get pissed when parents are like, well, they're adults, you know, they're, uh, they're no longer minors. They have the right. And this, and I'm like, it's true, you do. Completely but agree. At the end of the day, even as a 40 year old man talking to my dad, I'm still, you know, this is my father. I'm still going to respect him. If my dad says, get in the car, even a 40 year old man, I'm like, no problem, dad. The thing about it is, like, there's what I what I think, and I can really I can latch on to that idea simply because because you got boys. Exactly. I mean, as a parent. But I mean, what's crazy is you were in the Navy, mm-hmm. so you were in the military. You were in, you know, forward operating at the probably the same age as your boys are today. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man, I threw more rounds down range I mean, at this point, in my, at, the, at the same point in my son's life, both of them. So my, my, my uh, like, I, I respect their, their, their desire to want to do the right thing, but that's not the right thing. That might seem like it's the right thing, but there's a better thing for you to do that doesn't involve you putting yourself in jeopardy like that. Yeah. Because that's the other thing I tell people. Like if you're if you're a practicing concealed carrier and you knowingly go to a protest, Shit. you 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 have given away your legal defense. Right. There's right. no legal defense that you well, can really muster at that point. What's crazy is that one dude was on tape, um, you know, with his uh, AK-47 strapped on his chest. Yeah. And he that, got smoked. That Uber driver pulls up, who was like some young marine. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, right, the dude approaches the car with the gun dude. and the driver sees it, you know, rings out shots. I mean, like, what's he supposed to do? The, the, the difference in that situation is that the driver, as a combat veteran, recognized the danger that he was in. Yeah. Now, the other guy didn't recognize what he was doing, didn't recognize the well, danger. Yeah, it's Call of Duty, right? I mean, yeah, you know, fuck. You know, hey, it's I all should, fun and games. I should be able to adorn myself with this. And then this person, I mean, because the guy's in the car and you see a dude with an AK-47 coming at him. He's like, uh, I assume he's not coming over to ask there, me what, you know, like if I'm getting good gas mileage with these things. <laughs> the, the, the reality is that you have to take things at face value. You can't just make the ascent. You're like, I can't say Luke's charging me with a, a bayonet. He's not going to really stab me. And yeah, then by the time he's dead, guy. by the yeah. time he stabs me, I'm like, fuck, he did stab me. You know, I don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. And on the converse, though, if you're going to be brandishing a weapon, you need to make sure that you understand so that, the face value you're presenting. Exactly. So in that case, that goes back to the earlier conversation about brandishing and deadly intent. The driver completely recognized that as deadly intent. Right. Means intent and opportunity were all in place. I mean, that AK is a deadly weapon. Yeah. And at that close I range. I mean, dude, more people have dude. been killed with uh, 762 by 39 than just about anybody else. I mean, it's a battle uh, I mean, rifle. It know. is. Uh, it, it's a, it's I, I mean, dudes are, uh, dudes are forging those in some, like, mud uh, mud hut in Afghanistan. Dude. And somehow. No joke. Like, never been cleaned, and those no things joke. still fire. They, it's like, so true. I, I remember, uh, um, I won't name the individual, but showed 
showed me some pictures of uh, these guys, these like, uh, call them gunsmiths, like <laughs> using like basic metals that they're like, uh, you know, sand casting to make parts for these AKs and like, you know, totally crude stuff. And those things still work and kill, shoot people. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars Episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. So Uh, let's hit the way back machine. Way back. So why don't you guys... Chat about John. How, how did you cross paths with Jeff? Uh, Jeff kind of, you know, how do we get I, here today? Um, so uh, we actually, I met Jeff through uh, Tony Blower. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw Tony at the games, and I think we were—I forgot what uh, the conversation spurred—but uh, um, he and Jeff have been friends for a long time, and I think he made a comment. I think we were discussing uh, the work that I was doing for NSW. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going in there, you know, obviously worked, uh, had that contract to do, you know, performance stuff, and. Uh, Tony asked me something about it, like, hey, you were down in Coronado, and it just kind of came out, and he goes, oh, and do you know Jeff Gonzalez? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> so we, ex- uh, I think Tony introduced us via text. Uh, Jeff came to town uh, for a class or something, yeah. and uh, we went out to Rahagi's yeah. and um, brought a bunch of ammo and guns, and, like, you know, um, I had uh, been invited to go out to, like, Mid-South and do some shooting stuff with the guys at um, NSW. And I don't like to be unprepared and look like an asshole. Like a big thing for me is like, 
I want to look the part. I want to be able to like smoothly transition in and not look like the sore thumb because I'm already a big sore thumb in comparison <laughs> to most people. Uh, you're like, what's that six foot six dude doing here? <laughs> so like a big part of that is like, you know, um, and you know, as you know, we're, you know, we're not obsessed with movements, but movement and like, you know, the fluidity of watching these guys shoot. And like, it just was something to be proficient with weapons was always important. Uh, so, um, I had never done any formal training, um, just literally, uh, watching people shoot, seeing what looked good and then just kind of moving. And so, uh, when Jeff and I went out, you know, we pulled up at this private bay, we did like pistol and, and rifle, and it was really amazing to see like the smooth transitions and the seamless and effortless and the model in which Jeff was teaching, uh, fit very comfortably with the power athlete, uh, you know, athleticism model, you know, toes forward, drop and retracted shoulder blades, you know, sight picture, like all of the things that he was doing to manage recoil and how to efficiently move, like fell within the confines of our blueprint. And as we started talking yeah, and I was like, Hey Jeff, think about this. And we, and as we started talking, he was like, Holy shit. Like, yeah. like there was so much synergy. And then, uh, and then he's like, you know, um, uh, CrossFit fucking sucks. <laughs> I fucking hate these people. Um, my, and, uh, and then we started talking about training and his wrist was fucked up and he had some injuries. And I was like, Hey man, like let's rebuild you. Like, like yeah. I mean, not rebuild you, but like, let's start at ground zero and let's put a program together that allows for you to build upon. And we built that big base of strength. We started working on like a bunch of capacity stuff and we got him kind of into this like very periodized, intelligent training piece. And all of a sudden, Injuries went away, performance went up, and he just randomly stops in on CrossFit gyms and was killing people. And he's like, I don't mind this CrossFit stuff anymore. And so he was mad at it because he had gotten hurt and he had subscribed to the CrossFit kind of constant varied movements performed to high intensity model. And as soon as we put him into a power athlete model, all of a sudden it like made sense. And uh, we've just been, yeah. uh, you know, good friends ever since. Yeah. Uh, when I came out here looking for places when we were thinking of moving to Austin, I stayed at his house. Um, you know, and, uh, um, just, you know, been good friends ever since. So, I mean, it's probably been going on almost 10 years now. At least, at least, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the funny thing about it is like, um, like what I tell people is like <clears throat> where I'm at today physically is, is a direct result of that, that, that programming that we did in the early days. I mean, and I, I laugh, I, I'm sure John was getting pissed off at me after a while because like every time I would be out in the gym and setting and getting a new lift, I'd be texting, dude, I just did this, dude, I just did this, yeah. dude, I just did this. And like that went on for like years, mm -hmm. yeah. years. And uh, because, you know, I had no real good base. And as we, it was, that's what I tell people. It was like, I told John, I was like, man, the number one thing is I can't get hurt. Yeah. Can't get hurt. But so you were already hurt. I was really hurt. Yeah, he was banged up, shoulder, <laughs> I was, elbow, dude, I, was, I mean, it's, you know, we joke about being a high mileage athlete from NSW, any of those special operations, but, you know, it takes its toll on you. And yeah. so... The programming, just the like you said, like the way that you summed it up, the intelligent programming that we put together, and I should say we, I did, you put together, was fantastic. And literally the base of strength, and that's what we've, that's, that's, the, that's the cornerstone of everything is having that base of strength was, I mean, impressive. I mean, I got up to, I stopped. I mean, you squatted over, didn't you squat 400 pounds? I did. I, I, I and I know you deadlifted close to five. I, close, I, I got 495 That's on right. the deadlift, and I did 405 on the back squat. That's right. Because and I remember you sent me the videos. <laughs> I think I still have the videos. <laughs> you might. Yeah. It was like, it was. At a body weight of. 
at the time, yeah, I was One, like 170, yeah, 165, 170. Yeah. So I remember you coming to Balboa, New Balboa. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So right, what's interesting? that program. Which so I put him through the happened. diagnostic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you remember yeah, we went yeah. through all that? Which is funny because he does a diagnostic with the shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys right. went through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did all the diagnostic stuff, figured out. It was all based off of, you know, hey, we'll start with the dead bug. What can you do in your pull-up, step, mm-hmm. squat, and lunge? Mm-hmm. How can you move in space? Yeah. And then all of, like, the deficiencies. And then we went back and just... Dude. Short up all the holes. It yeah. was it was awesome. And yeah. I want to say, John, that was like a an early version, because that was like a three day a week deal, wasn't it? Kind of like a grindstone esque uh, approach before grindstone ever launched. Yeah, I bet you we could pull that program. <sighs> yeah, I, I I would have it somewhere. Um, the uh, it was really based on you know I mean in in a sense it was kind of pre grindstoning that Jeff was traveling so much for his classes mm-hmm. like he he would stop in at these places and he would have to travel yeah. on a Friday to teach a Saturday and Sunday and then come back Monday was rec so it'd be a Tuesday and so there was always this thing of like what's available where are we within the cycle yep. you know primals you know hey if we did this we did this and uh, and, I, and I, I remember all of a sudden like I remember the biggest issue was uh, was any form of upper body pressing yeah because of the wrist yeah and then all of a sudden i think you sent me something where you were doing like push presses and you're like the wrist hasn't hurt me in a long time it's been like it's still there but it's not a debilitating or limiting kind of condition Mm -hmm. anymore i mean it really was it's amazing um but the like when we first started out too i was in my old house in cedar park and i didn't have the gym that i have now i didn't have the the garage gym that i had i had like sandbag and some kettlebells and a tire and a sled and a pull-up bar and 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 maybe a few other things but i didn't have nearly the tools so that's what's so awesome is that with the limited tools that we started with that started the progress that Mm -hmm. started the movement forward and it's and 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 what i always tell people is like when when you can show somebody that there's the capacity like you can all of a sudden kind of start to use your creative mind and see down the road like oh my god if i keep doing this that's where i'll be Mm -hmm. i'll be there and so when probably the best investment that I've made in myself was getting all that rig, getting the rig and all the bumpers and everything. And man, it has been phenomenal. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, it, the home gym. yeah, especially now during this yeah. pandemic. Oh man. So, so Jeff, let's Dude. do this too for our listeners who, who don't know you. Yeah. Yeah. So take us before meeting. Well, ah. so give us, give us that background as well. So, um, born and raised here in Texas, not too far from here. And I joined the Navy right out of high school. I went in, um, I became a SEAL, did a, a lot of work there in some really interesting times. After I left the Navy, I still was working overseas doing some very interesting stuff. I left the Navy and I, or I left uh, that job and I started Trident Concepts. Um, Trident Concepts has been around now for 20 ish years. So this, this March will be, um, I think, a full 21. Like, Whoa. Yeah, we incorporated in 2001. So this March will be. 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So we've been doing this, uh, this work for a long time. You know, we gained a reputation and I think one of the other things that, uh, enamored me to, to John's philosophy was the simple fact that there were so many parallels between what we do and what, what you guys do, you Mm -hmm. know, like everything's performance driven. There's standards and not just movement, but standards and performance and everything's, everything is measured. Everything is observable. Everything is repeatable. And so make the marker you don't. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And I, I love it. And so I, I can honestly tell you that, um, like when I, when I moved into this space in the, in the shooting world, there was only maybe one other NSW guy that was actually doing work. And mm-hmm. he was a much older Vietnam era frogman. Great guy. Uh, so I kind of like came in during the GWAT period, the global war on terrorism. And dude, it was, it was a full on, 
Like I was spending like 230 plus days a year on the road back to back years. I mean, it's just like forever. And we rolled into a slightly different situation now where, you know, I, I travel still, but I don't travel as much. The classes are a little bit bigger. So that kind of makes it a little bit easier for me. I, I still want to travel. I still want to train, but I'm not having to do it as much. And I'm, I'm in a point in my life where I'm picking what I want to do and yeah. where I yeah. want to do Sweet. it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, our programming has come so far and I think, you know, everybody will like, a lot of times there's these people that will say, you know, well, what, what has changed about your curriculum? What has changed about your, um, your instruction? And my comment is always, well, you know, the, the course of fire that, you know, John went through in the way back in the day hasn't really changed that much. What has changed is, is the delivery of that curriculum, how I interact with you. It's mm-hmm. like my curriculum is pretty solid. I don't have to do anything with it. But how I deliver the curriculum to the variety of students that come to the classes is what is what I'm most proud of. It's mm-hmm. like that's the work. That's the hard work because anybody can develop a drill, develop a, a course of fire, develop a class. But if you can't, you know, if you don't have a way to measure the effectiveness of the delivery of your system, which in this case is going to be how the student shoots, then really you you don't really know how good of an instructor you are. You don't really, you don't have a way of measuring your capacity as an instructor. Everybody thinks that they're a good instructor until you really start to evaluate how well your students perform. And it's just like when you guys are watching, Mm -hmm. you're looking for coaching cues to help kind of improve a lift or improve a movement. Same thing with me. So, um, like in the last seven years, we have taken that to such a refined level. Like we're so down into the weeds. I mean, it's like, it's, 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 it's really interesting to see that. And and particularly when you're starting to get into the psychology of how the human learns and how they really kind of interact and all the things that work against you and stuff like that. So when people ask me what has changed about my curriculum, I'd be like, well, I mean, there's probably we, we've adjusted things for like round count. Like we've had to like go up, we've had to come down, we've had to go up, we've had to come down. But really the delivery of the system of the, of the curriculum is what has really changed so much. Like how I, how I teach now, even though I'm teaching the same course of fire is much different than what it was when, when John came through. So, um, that's been kind of like a 20 year ride now. Uh, You know, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's been one of like, I I didn't really start to appreciate it until about five years ago. And that's when I um, started to really pay attention. I've always had students that had been involved in deadly force encounters and they had contacted me to talk to me about like what happened, like how, how it went down. And I think it was probably about five, six years ago that, uh, you know, it really started to, sink in that what we were doing was like, I used to always just think about it as I'm, 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 I'm helping somebody to exercise their constitutional right. Right. Something as simple as that. But really what I started to realize is that people were actually changing like their views, they were changing their lifestyles. They were changing for the better how they were as a human because they took it upon themselves to recognize that their, the responsibility for their safety is, is theirs. Mm -hmm. It's on them. And that kind of really, because it, it had always been kind of like, a, uh, you know, it's it's an important thing, but it wasn't really that important to me early on. I saw it, I recognized it, but it wasn't until like about five or six years ago that I really started to value that. Like how much, how many people we have impacted that have changed their lives for the better. Mm-hmm. And and some of those some of those lives that we've changed weren't just a result of self-defense but also the fitness idea. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot tell you how many times I've had somebody come through a class and just get smoked in that class and it's a mental it's a mental fight to stay at the top level 
to make those 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 right decisions to get the shot where you need it. And people at the end of the day are just smoked. They're mm-hmm. they're mentally exhausted. Physically, not so much. But what they learn is that the more physically stout they are, the better their mental game is, the tougher they are mentally to be able to stay focused, to be able to stay on point and make those right decisions and get those hits that they need under the pressure that typically they're going to be put into. Well, your courses are also super demanding. Like it's not just yeah. like, you know, standing on a line, draw, yeah. you know, two shots. Yeah. It's like uh, running and gunning. And I, I know when um, when you had, I think that... Um, the course up in LA was at Angeles Crest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out there. It was a pretty hot day. Yeah. And um, man, uh, you know, we had to like run there, run back. We were doing shuttles. We were moving. You know, to, you know, you know, like hey, you got to run this shuttle and then shoot three shots. And people were trying to calm themselves down to get yeah. these shots. And uh, the thing that was most amazing to me was how um, unphysically prepared people were, like to the point where I think they were. I mean, not pissed. But like, uh, um, you know, well, how come I'm not shooting better? And it's like, because your heart rate's at 175 <laughs> from like, surprise. yeah, I, uh, and, and it, it was hot. It was dusty. Yeah. Uh, like they're over there, like swapping guns. Trying to figure out right, how to trying solve to the figure problem. Out, yeah, like, yeah. I, I swear to God, these guys yeah. showed up with like five different guns. Oh, this gun's not shooting well. And I'm like, I, I, you know, and I, it was funny because a dude wrote an AAR of it and in it he referenced me and he's like, oh, and then we had some, you know, alleged football player oh, yeah. who was, you know, who, uh, who, who was trying to harp us on being more physically fit, you know, and like just some cunty thing. It's and so like, good. I, I was, so I was laughing because these dudes were absolutely smoked and they couldn't keep like, like their hearts were racing and it wasn't, it no, wasn't, wasn't far no, runs. No, no. It was like, hey man, I need you to sprint there, sprint back. And, uh, you know, set up and then I need, you know, three shots on target and this. And these dudes were just huffing and puffing. And I get that question asked a lot. What can I do to be a better shooter? And there's two different answers that I have in my head. Mm -hmm. Like one answer would be mechanically, okay, here's what we can do to try to improve your grip, your stance, whatever the case might be. But then there's another one that's really deep and it's just like, well, you just need to get stronger. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. that's yeah. what you need. You need to get stronger. And I've had so many students that have come back uh, uh, maybe a year or two later and have complete like life change. Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't even recognize them. Mm-hmm. Comes up. I was like, Hey man, do you, you remember me from last year? And I'm like, no. And I'm pretty good with faces and like sometimes body types. And I was like, dude, I don't like a lot of times I don't recognize them at all. Cause they have come completely changed. Mm-hmm. Completely, it's amazing. I love it. I yeah, love yeah, seeing that. Sure. You, well, I mean, there, there's nothing like going into a situation like that and not making the measurement. Like I remember, uh, we had to shoot those quals yeah, to be yeah. able to move into the next course, and these guys were failing the qual. And Jeff's like, "Hey, you, you either have to pass this qual or you keep taking this course. There's no like you've taken <laughs> ten of them, you grandfather in, or you're close. <laughs> yeah. You either make the mark or you don't." And I remember one of the dudes was like super cunty about it. And it was like, you know, like, well, you know, I've come to all these classes. I yeah. should be able to do this. And he's like, dude, uh, the test doesn't lie. You're not that good a shooter. And the guy got all butthurt. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Fucking thank God. Thank God we have somewhere where like, you know, we would joke about the participation trophies. Yeah. But like, hey, man, you have to shoot this qual and do this a certain way. And um, and then I think the guy came back and did privates with you. Remember that? Yeah. He was mad. Then he came back and yeah. did privates. Yep, 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 yep. And then he finally passed. But it was like, like. Uh, just showing up and paying your money isn't going to get you where you need to go. And I I appreciate that. I've had that conversation a lot, you know, like uh, your registration fee does one thing and that guarantees you a spot on the firing line. Your performance is going to dictate how, you know, whether you pass or not. And I I try to also emphasize, particularly with the number of new shooters out this in this time period, like we were seeing so many new shooters out 
that, you know, um, the, the importance behind understanding, like, what is it that you're trying to do? Like you, you're, you're going to be using a firearm to defend yourself or, or a loved one. Right. And, and that comes with a, that comes with a little bit more complications. It's not quite as easy as you might think. And so what I, I try to emphasize is like when you're a new shooter and you're coming into this world, just think about any other skill that you didn't know anything about that you had to learn, whatever it was. And remember that it was frustrating, that it was disappointing, that there was a lot of failures, mm-hmm. but that's, those are all good. Like everybody gets butthurt about failing and thinking, ah, oh, failing is terrible. I shouldn't fail. Now I'm not saying that failing, you should just Dude, like, you, you learn more from failure than you do from success. It's so true. Like yeah. I I've been humbled and that humility is what has driven me to want to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to emphasize that in our student body and how we interact with the public. So these new shooters, I'm trying to help them to recognize that, listen, this is a new skill. Think about any skill, riding a bike, learning to type, whatever, and think about the level of frustration that you went through, the disappointments, all the failures that you had, because this is going to be very much the same. But if you stick with it, if you put the effort in, you're going to gain the experience of learning how to ride a bike. And look right, at how right. look at how valuable it is to being able to but, ride a bike right now. But the problem, and, and we've dude, we've uh, talked about this numerous times on the podcast and other episodes, uh, the day that you can become a fan of the process yeah, of yeah. going from like un. Uh, like, you know, uninformed, unadapted, like, uh, you know, a beginner, amateur individual, and then like enjoy the course that it takes to go from like that position to proficiency. And then all of a sudden be put in a situation where now proficiency is required and you actually meet the task. Like I know, um, uh, we did our course and, you know, we trained and I went and did a bunch on my own and dude, and I was, I was dry firing for like maybe two hours a day, you know, <laughs> in the mirror with my pistol rig working on my transitions. And then I get a chance to go to mid South where like, you know, Hey, this is unlimited ammo. You get to run and gun. I mean, yeah. it's like all these epic things to do. And all of a sudden you, you get out there and you know, I'm, I'm, I definitely say I'm, uh, enjoy playing in, in games more than practice yeah yeah and you get out there and you're competitive in this yeah. thing and you don't feel like just some out of shape or uh, uh out of place you know fish out of water and like that feeling of like hey um i wasn't good at this i knew it needed to be done and then i would i did the work to progress yeah to to, to this it's... proficient individual and then compete at a good level like that to me is is the journey that i oh think every God. person should embrace the problem is is and i i talk to my kids about this why am I not just instantly good at this? <laughs> like I'm, I, dude, it's I, true. Well, yeah. the thing that I have to try to, and, and it's funny that we we're talking about this because that's the other thing that I try to encourage people to recognize the value of what you're doing, this learning process of things that you don't know. That is the joy. That's, that's where you find joy. It's in learning and knowing that you're going to learn more. And I, I kind of like, um, like, the process of learning to me has become something that's way different than when it was when I was in high school. Like, like I, I didn't like school back then, but now I like it because I, I'm, I'm forced. I'd argue that high school is more about like conforming yeah. than learning. True, uh, true. But yeah. also that that's twofold. Not only curriculum, but just the like the person you're trying to teach. Yeah, yeah. That curriculum too. There's a dipshit kid who's like maybe default just, response just trying is to, to fit rebel. In. Yeah, right? to fit I, in. I, I guess you're right. There's true. So, that's there's so, some truth there. Nothing to do with it. No, no, no. Said, but you're right. right. You're right. But the 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 key thing that I I'm trying to to get across, particularly the new shooters, is to enjoy this process yeah. because there is a lot of value in just finding joy in what you're doing. Because if you can if you can enjoy the process and and just 
You know, go along with it. Just enjoy it. Like you're meeting new people. You're learning a new skill. You're getting an opportunity to to try to challenge yourself in a way that maybe you haven't had. Like, I mean, you know, if most of the time we're looking at people that are already well-established in their profession. Mm-hmm. You know, they already have survived right. the, the, the life journey of getting to be good at something in their profession, right? They're pretty much there already. But remember, you know, like the, 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 the drive that you had to get there. You know, I want to try to use that to help them navigate this process. And it's like anything. You trust the process, and before you know it, you're there. Like, I, I can't remember exactly when the day came when I realized, damn, actually, I'm actually strong. I don't remember when that actually, I can't put a, 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 my finger on the exact day. It's just all of a sudden, you know, I woke up one day and I'm like, oh, damn, okay, well, I can do that. I, you know, now I have a better value system of what that means to me and, and how I do it. Uh, I want to jump in here. So in, in 2016, I'm going to take us back to one of our first symposiums. And I had given that presentation, and that's on the YouTube of unlocking potential, something like that. But then the focus was on switching your mindset from outcome goals mm. to falling in love with the process and getting yeah. into that. And then now since here we are four years later and working with more uh, younger populations and then communicating to coaches on how to talk to people, especially with fitness goals, yeah. there's a, a third layer that I, I'm adding into that piece, which is identity, which I'm sure you huh. have experienced with the shooting community who the gentlemen or the people, they come in with the outcome goal. I want to pass this or yeah. I want this certification. I want this piece. And then they fall short of said outcome goal. But then it's come back, come get lessons. And they start to enjoy the shooting, the reps, the practice, the process. And eventually they begin to, it becomes part of who they are. Yeah. They represent that identity. And the, the, what I'm communicating in one of our new courses is getting your people, your clients, whoever they are, however old they are, is to not set the goals. Well, I do like smart goals, but it's the aim. Mm. So it prevents you from falling short. And one of those things is comparing yourself to others. Yeah. So and true. Then where we, we said ego several times throughout, but I mean, a level set self-esteem, not too high an ego where you can't take coaching, yeah. curric, uh, coaching, constructive criticism because yeah. you are too good for your level set. And then we also don't want to be too low because then you can't take in the key term that we throw around is like reinforcing good behavior or small wins. Yeah. And the perspective with the aim is to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. Or early to start this class, then well, but, um, all these faults. Like, I, I wonder if, uh, I mean, like... I wonder if it's like kind of the impatience and, uh, you know, we've talked so much about like, you know, the cell phone generation of kids where, you know, right. hey, I, I, you know, uh, no, no. the, uh, you know, every ounce of information is at the access of your fingertips. And yeah. so because of that, people become like, well, shouldn't, you know, if information's ac- access this way, shouldn't knowledge, shouldn't learning, shouldn't, uh, you know, progression be the same way and realizing that like, you know, there's going to, you know, take uh, like this huge amount of time. And, um, you know, like the, it's funny, I've had this exact conversation with my daughter when she'll ask, well, like, well, how long does it take me to get good at basketball? <laughs> how long will it take me to be smart? How long will it do this? And, um, and it's like trying to explain, you know, we were talking about lifting weights and she asked me a similar question. She's like, well, well, how long do you have to lift weights for? 
And they, and like these were like such amazing questions for me as an adult listening to my daughter ask like how long does it take to get good at stuff uh, yeah and uh you know i love and, that and then i you know uh, i pulled up a video talking about um who, who's the guy that we had on the podcast i was talking about kobe bryant where he was uh, alan, alan stein, stein jr, jr. so I, I i pulled up this kind of motivational thing about kobe you know 4 a.m and the deal i'm like you know considered to be one of the best to ever play and he was never satisfied he never felt that he was <clears throat> he was i'm good now i can chill out and so she's like, so you're never strong enough. You never know him enough. And I'm like, if you can have that feeling of like, there's always more to this, like that, you know, it, it's always just a little out, out of arm's reach and I got to keep working. I'm like, that's the secret for all of this. So and the day that you feel like I'm here, I'm good. Yeah. Like that's the day you die. But, and then the word I'm using is aim. So it's not to lose 15 pounds and then what? It's not to get starting on a team and then what? So it is how, and again, still haven't quite articulated it. If we can explain it to a, a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old, I think we're in a good position to then communicate <laughs> oh, yeah. that to Man, anyone. The, uh, the conversation we had last night about Halloween candy was pretty epic. Oh, so um, the girls got Halloween candy, and the rule in our house is like you can eat as much as you want on that night, but like the next day, if it's still there, we're throwing it away. So uh, that's kind of what I rolled with. And so yesterday I like collected all their Halloween candy to like basically just pitch it. And uh, this is the two difference of my daughters. My one daughter was of the, uh, of the, I don't know where she got this impression, but of the mindset that you could have it for as long if you ate one a day and she will follow the rules and have just one piece of candy a day. Whereas my other daughter was housing candy as fast as she could she <laughs> knew it was going to go away. So, like, we had this whole thing where Jamie's like, I figured you were going to throw it away. That's why I've been trying to eat it as fast as I can. <laughs> Kelly's like, I've been saving it so I can have one. And, like, they were, like, completely different outcomes. That's hilarious. And, and then, like, uh, Kate was like, well, I was like, yeah, the rule, you can eat as much as you want, then you got to throw it away the next day. And she's like, that's not how we did it. And so we had this whole, like, I was like, You've been saving? She's like, oh, yeah. She had a little list. She's like, I have 18 M&Ms. I have this many. You know, she had like a little list of all of her candy. That's hilarious. And Jamie's just over there just being like, this tastes really good if you take the... Uh, um, Mix this up oh, with yeah, that? Yeah, she was taking like five things and smashing them in her mouth. And I was like, oh, God, Love this is it. my kid. Kate, this is your kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- here's another observation uh, on, to your point, Tex. It's like um, one of the things that I had to combat was the outcome-based theory, outcome-based mindset. And one of the things that I looked at was from a business point of view, like I need to have, I need these students to have a positive experience over a positive outcome. Because if they have a positive experience, they're much more inclined to continue. Yes. Right. And if, if they, if they have a positive experience, they're much more inclined, they're much more teachable. They're much more open to exploring different ideas about this they're much more willing to dip into their time talent and treasure to kind of get to there uh so to me it's it's about that positive experience and and i tell people like a lot of times it's kind of like a little esoteric to a certain extent when i'm having a difficult time with one of the students they can't quite get it down Mm -hmm. and they struggle through the class they come back a year later to the next class i do in the area and all of a sudden they're doing they're doing fine. They're doing well. Maybe, you know, they maybe not by day one, but by the beginning of day two, they start to get rolling. And then in the debrief, they're like, I don't, I don't understand how all of a sudden I'm able to do so well. And my comment about the only thing that makes sense to me 
is the curriculum hasn't changed. The delivery hasn't changed. What's changed is the student and the student's observations of sorts. And really what has changed is that they were ready to hear the information, whereas before they weren't ready. Mentally or, or emotionally, they weren't ready. And now they are. And now that it makes sense to them. And so that's kind of like another aspect of the instructor side of the house is that, you know, you're you're having to balance a lot of different oh, yeah. individuals in a, in a class. And that, you know, like, you know, my classes are, you know, 16 max. You guys are doing like, you know, seminars with up to 100 people at times. So I can only imagine how challenging that is to try to manage all the different learning styles and how you have to change your delivery for this person and that person and this person, because, you know, again, the positive experience if if that t- if that student feels as though there's the chance for them to get better, they're going to latch onto it. Mm-hmm. They're going to latch onto it and they're going to want to take it for as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Now, essentially what helped me go into that 40 plus seminar understanding, these are all different preferred learning styles versus like best learning style, how they prefer to learn different exposure to fitness, coaching, training, weightlifting. And it was something I picked up from grad school. It was something called the competency model, which we've since written into the power athlete methodology curriculum, how we describe seamless and effortless movement and different uh, competency would be there's, there's four levels to the competency model. The first is unconscious incompetence. Mm -hmm. This is the, what I'm saying to an individual I'm trying to teach, there is they are not picking up on any of those words, and it's just I'm trying. I'm the complete disconnect, and a different layer to that is they don't value. This is sometimes with when you walk into a gym or different scenarios, not necessarily at our seminars, but they don't value the information or, or the coaching that you're providing. For sure. Oh, I'm good. I know. Yep. This is the high school football unconscious incompetence. But then you break into the unconscious competence. They realize there's this deficit, still not picking up the skill as quickly as possible, but they're... Can I pop in? Yeah. Conscious incompetence. Conscious incompetence. Sorry. Yeah. Um, But competency model for the listeners, I want to check it out. It's all there. But conscious incompetence, Mm -hmm. they recognize there's a deficit. They're doing their best. They're Mm -hmm. listening to your coaching directions cues. Yeah. Just need more opportunity. Reps eventually gets into conscious competence they're able to execute but then they're in their mind they can hear you as a coach they're going through it step by step chunking it out and delivering it good place to be but not for sport or shooting or combat or anything then you want unconscious competence then it is that true seamless and effortless uh the challenge teaching crossfitters was they the sport of fitness is conscious competence yeah it's focusing on all right you got to do, do the do right this with my shoulders, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But that's going to be slow when I got to worry about well, opposition it's, defense. It's also, you can get away with unconscious incompetence. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. it was like, that was the philosophy yeah. of the 80, the 80, 20 slot rule. And then, um, you know, just hitting these like unconsciously just hitting movement standards versus having a, any sort of external, requ- like any sort of central nervous system requirement outside of like, Okay, I just got to shut off and go to hell and hit 100 thrusters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. You but can just then, go to a dark place. Yeah, you can as, thrive in that, right? <laughs> Versus being aware of the pain and then yeah, all the, discomfort. Yeah, and that's uh, incompetent competence. Yeah. Right? So, but being as an instructor and then seeing what kind of pushback or level from that individual and not getting mad at them. Yeah. 
but then trying to match within their competency level the directions that instruction that to give. So another way to look at that, and, and we use something very similar, it's higher order, lower order, right? So the lower order would be all of the, you know, the conscious realm. And, and we don't use unconscious, we use subconscious. The subconscious is what's really doing all the, the mental mapping, if you will. So at the lower order, which is in the conscious realm, you have to think your way through all these problems. You have to think about how you grip the bar. You have to think about you know, triple extension. You have to tr- think about you know, being able to explode and get that max lift. And in that conscious realm, you start off in that incompetent level. Now, one of the things that I, like, I use like this, um, like if you were to make a square, you know, lower order is all like this is unconscious, or sub, um, conscious, incompetent, conscious, competent, and then subconscious, competent, subconscious, incompetent, and have a, like a line going through all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What you're going to see is that what the commonality of like where all, they all touch, where they all kind of come together in some sense, where all of these kind of different spheres kind of connect to one another. And where I see the connection the most for us is at that subconscious level. But the interesting thing about that subconscious level is the effort. What people don't realize is the effort that you have to put in at the conscious level to get to that subconscious. Like that's the thing that you were talking about. Like, um, like I, how, how, how do I, how much, how do I know when I'm good? How do I know when I've lifted the max that I'm going to lift? How do I know that, you know, and, and those, like those things that I run into on my, in my field is like, everybody wants to be a, you know, killer commando overnight. Everybody wants to, you know, but they don't realize that the hard work that goes into that and navigating through the conscious realm of starting off incompetent and get into the competency level. That's where I would say probably about 70% of the students that I see live. They don't really live in the subconscious realm. Because they haven't that like just get into this conscious competent level is so much work and it takes years and they don't often value how hard that is to get there. That's the other thing. It's like what we talked about the journey, finding joy in the journey, right? Because once you get to that subconscious level, dude, it's like, it's like, it's like going to the disco. It is, it is the ball. And when I like, when I get into that subconscious realm, I don't get into the subconscious realm that often. But when I do, most of the time, what like springs me into the action, if you will, is the moment my heart rate gets elevated. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the hard things to get across to people is like you talk about going into the pain cave of sorts, you know, like you don't really understand that because your heart rate, you know, when you're training, you're probably keeping your heart rate at a lower level so that you can maintain the conscious competency. And you don't value getting into that subconscious. And, you know, like when we when we see the subconscious, like most of the time I spend very little time in the incompetent level at the subconscious because I'm not thinking it's all reflexive. It's all automated right. for me. Right. Yeah, but you have thousands I know. upon tens of thousands of reps. That's, and like, you know, but like, I can't get to that subconscious competent level manually. That's what I'm saying. It's like I can't get there by you just saying, all right, Jeff, I need to see your best. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't come out in me. Like, the only time it comes out is, like, under pressure. Yeah. Like, being, like, as soon as I knew, like, and once I knew I was getting inserted, there was a f- switch that got flipped. Sure. And that was the doorway that let me into that subconscious Well, I world. mean, uh, professional sports, same thing. Yes. Like, there's a, a speed you move in practice, and then all of a sudden you yeah. get out, you're yeah, in yeah, a yeah. stressful situation, and it's like everything becomes very slow and clear. Yeah. And you, you, you have this, like, ascension. 
And uh, so we, cool. we talked about it all the time because there were guys that couldn't ascend. Yeah. Like they were like the best you were going to get out of them was in practice. And then when you get in the games and you're like, oh, what happened? And it was like, I don't even know where that ascension word came from, but it was kind like of it. this idea that like they couldn't ascend to the next step, which was like to be able to move it a, at a deal. And, you know, and that's why there were guys that were every year like, oh, so-and-so is going to be great. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. Like in, in practice, he was all right. Let's see how he does in the game. And then the guy would go in and he just never could ascend to what he needed to do to be successful in that stressful situation. And that's why there's, you know, good practice players and game players. That's why you get Allen Iverson and be like, this is practice. You know, and the idea of like, you know, you have to be able to master all your skills in practice, but you have to have something that allows you to ascend to be able to do it, you know, like the great ones when you get into a stressful situation. And and I was going somewhere with all that. And I can't I can't remember where I was going. I just got so lost in that whole thing, because that to me is so fascinating. Well, that's the importance of competition and where we say in the definition of athletics is accomplish a known and a novel task and that accomplish no word in the definition of athleticism is a throwaway so that accomplish mm. means it, it it can be competition it can be skin in the game whether that's you putting it on yourself like kobe at 4 a.m mm-hmm. or come game time where the young guys and the lakers never understood it but as their moment to then get their reps that mm. matter and that's when you can continue to ascend, ascend. and progress and where you know what it takes for you to get into the zone, yeah, that it, it's, it takes less reps to then improve your skill. I like I, I totally am tracking with what you're saying. And one of the things that I like, one of the reasons why I have I shot competition in my younger years because I thought that that was going to help me simulate. Like once I came back from a combat theater, I thought that would help me to simulate what I was experiencing, like how to get to that subconscious level. But it, it really never did. It only got me to that conscious. And most of the time I was incompetent, but it got me, you know, I, I really stayed at that lower order. And that was what was so frustrating to me. It's like, it just ate me up that I couldn't get to the, like, I knew that there was that I knew there was a plateau that I had been to but I couldn't navigate back to it without the, 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 the actual environment that I was in. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that comes close is when I go and we do these little stress courses. We do these little stress courses that kind of help. It shuts off my brain and allows that doorway to open to that subconscious realm. And then it's just, it's like a ghost just moves through things without even thinking. So it's really cool to talk about it like this. Cause yeah. like when I really kind of like dissect my skill level and dissect my skill sets and where I'm, where my strengths and where my weaknesses are, like my strengths are, Quit it. My strengths are going to certainly be when I'm up at that subconscious level, but it's not just as easy as saying, let's go and work in the yeah, subconscious right. realm. Right. Let's turn just go do that. Yeah, exactly. Turn up the heat. That doesn't yeah, work. But I mean, <laughs> the, the way it works is you don't necessarily train in that. So what happens is, yeah. is like, you know, yeah. like, like there's a very real progression. And let's say you shoot and you do everything and you understand and like you build your competency in terms of motor, uh, motor patterning. Will Shields told me years ago that your body doesn't know speed. It only knows movement. Mm-hmm. So his idea was like he could, he would do everything in these like really slow, deliberate deals so that he could teach his body how to move. Yeah. And then he just knew that when all of a sudden we were in game day or, you know, when the stress happened, he could move at the speed because he had already showed his body the way that his body didn't need to know speed. He had it. And I remember like being like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> Like, like, don't, like, like, shouldn't you have to play fast? And he's like, my body doesn't know speed. It just knows movement. Yeah. He, and, and he was one so of the best to ever do the game. Beautiful. But it, it was crazy because he would do all this pregame, pre-prep, and it was just very slow, very deliberate, 
perfect, perfect, perfect. And what we know about myelination, like the, there's no uh, there's no velocity effect to myelination. When you start developing skills and myelin lays down, it doesn't lay down thicker, or stronger, or differently. Whether or not you move slow or fast, that's why walkthroughs were so uh, important. So, like that's why you know the idea of like slowly, hey, I'm going to do these transitions. I'm going to shoot here. I'm going to work on the sight pistol. That's why there's so much out of like uh, dry firing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's because you, you're able to get so many more reps and you're in the mirror and you're perfectly doing it. And now all of a sudden you get into a situation, live fire, and all of a sudden it just becomes automatic, assuming you know how to manage stress. That's right. A, that's a big one. Like uh, I enjoy stress. Uh, certain people don't. So like if you can manage stress and you like are excited by it, then it works well. But if you're a person who like freezes or you get, nah, yeah. you know, so this is a great, I love hearing all of that because there's a, there's a common, there's a, there's a group or a camp that really try to push that are opposed to the, the old adage. And I just, I, 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 um, I associate that dialogue that you had with that one player of, um, you know, um, you know, slow is smooth or smooth is slow. Yeah. Slow, slow, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Exactly. So in, in today's world, there's so many, uh, there's so many of these guys that are so against that. They're just like, no, no. And if you want to go fast, you have to go fast. And I'm like, I, I understand what you're saying. Well, right. Don't you think that they're trying to make a name for themselves by being uh, contrarian? Some, sometimes in some cases. And that's why I don't engage with a lot of them. But, but I, I love being able to talk to somebody that is at the peak of their game in the physiological realm. And talk about that because that is something that I've always known. I've always known. And I love hearing I, my body doesn't know speed. My body knows movement. If my movement patterns are correct, they are going to move at whatever speed I need them to move based on the situation. That's what that's the difference between the conscious and the subconscious. When I'm in that subconscious realm, I don't have any control over speed. I'm going as fast as my body can go. I have no control over it. But when I'm in the conscious realm, I actually have the ability to throttle up or throttle back. Right. But that's not real. Like, I don't have that capacity when I'm in the subconscious realm. It's just throttle down. <laughs> it's it bores open. And so for me, like, I, I've, always tell pe- I've always told people that the secret to shooting fast is to do the absolute minimum for the task at hand, movement-wise. Absolute minimum. And then do it as precisely as you can. That's the secret to going fast. It's not about, you know, move, 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 move. It's, it's taking, understanding the movement patterns and using the absolute minimum amount of movement to, to, to accomplish the task and then being so precise with those movements that it's like, it's unfeathered. It's just, boom, it just moves. It's just like, it, it's, it's, a, it's like fire. It's got a, it's an animal all to itself. And that I love. I could I can geek out on that shit all day long. So it's like I don't get in those discussions with those guys. Quit it. I don't get in those discussions with guys like that because um, they're going to believe what they want to believe. And there's no there's they're, like they're they're coming from an industry that they're when you look at them, I'm like, yeah, physically, you're really not a specimen. I'm sorry. Right. And as a result, you don't understand movement. And to add on that, but that's what makes you a good teacher is that you've been to the speed and that experience. Yes. And you can then operate within this, yes. this teaching environment to then see where other people's fault. So you see the fault quickly. Yeah. And then you can economically well, give them a, a direction. What happens, and this is pretty fascinating, is, um, you know, Jeff comes in a kind of a similar vein in that, like, hey, you know, you worked in NSW, you know, so you have this bit of credibility. 
And like while that gets you there, the ability to come in and worked with thousands of people over 20 years yeah. where you've refined and seen this, it's kind of similar for, you know, with us at Power Athlete. Like, yeah, I played in the NFL for 10 years, but we've been running this company and teaching and doing what we're doing for almost longer than I played in the NFL. Yeah. And it's like over the course of time, like the information that I had leading up has been refined and then you start developing all this other stuff. So it, it becomes like I, I think a certain thing of what you do to get there allows you to have the conversation. Like I'm sure Jeff's talking with guys and it's like, oh, what did you do before this? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like this is like this is all I've done since I was 18 years old, and and, and also for guys like you know that were in NSW or kind of in that SOCOM yeah. deal, you know yeah. guys that are also in that like there's probably like hey um, you're legit you know and we've talked about this with other football players where it's like oh like I played 10 years he was good or this and now you meet other guys and you're like oh like I was on the practice squad you're like oh all right like. It, there's a definite kind of piece, but then once you like that gets you into the conversation, yeah. but then you have to be able to go and teach and replicate and get people to replicate and move them along on their journey. Or you're just some ex military or professional athlete who yeah. maybe had a good idea at one time. It's yeah. so damn true. I mean, that is like so spot on. Like I can, I can tell you right now that what's lacking in a lot of these ideas is perspective. You know, the perspective of coming from the professional industry, professional, you know, powerhouse, and then coming from the the professional, you know, war fighting component. Like, that is a perspective that is difficult to replicate unless you do it. You can't really do it. You can't really replicate it, right? Um, And I've always tried to be, um, I guess the best way to put it, I've always tried to be gentle with that. I don't want to ride in on my high horse you know, that's, that's labeled NSW. I want to ride in and be able to affect positive behavioral change in the student because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at being able to correct your skills or develop your skills, right? And when people talk to me about wanting to go fast, man, I just, you know, I tell people, I'm like, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to learn how to run fast, you're going to have to run fast, but you can't run fast before you've learned the right movement patterns. Yeah. And it just doesn't work that way. And once you learn the right movement patterns, then you your body will tell you when to go fast and how. It just does it. It's not like I have to program myself to go fast. Like a lot of times, I um, I have to like program myself to go slow, so that I can when I'm doing demonstrations, I can make sure that people are like if I'm talking about a, a, a an isolated portion of the overall movement that they can focus in on that one particular little tidbit and not the entire movement. And that means that I've got to sometimes go slow and exaggerate those movements. And that (laughs) is actually one of the harder skills to actually do. It's easy to just come out at your normal pace and not think about it, but it's hard to actually go out and slow things down to be able to highlight a specific step or part or you know, some, something that's contained within the overall movement and draw the attention of the student to it. That's like, that's the art form. That's like, there's a science and then the art. And that's definitely the art form. I do see a lot of parallels in how we (laughs) present and teach (laughs) movement. Uh, One fast thinking here where you said speed and getting fast and then how we teach speed, it comes down to posture, right? From the Think spine, speed is a product of posture, one of the one-liners. Position, it could be arm, hand position, and then leg position. So chunk those out and then give the athlete the opportunity to connect them with proficiency. Mm-hmm. So it's the 
similar position. And then one thing I wrote a blog about is the next step is style. Mm. So we teach people how to sprint, and then we give them their oh, weapon, yeah. Yeah. their lacrosse stick, yeah, yeah. their basketball. So it's still the, the principles of dive and drive, but now I have to navigate dribbling and awkward position of my trunk and torso, but the still knee up toe up position, the uh, the position and the proficiency still matters. Mm-hmm. But now other different like hand positions out because I got a yeah. gun or a lacrosse yeah, yeah. stick. Um, but then I, I see some people just immediately jumping towards the style within the shooting community because. That's cool. Well, with, I mean, Instagram's so cool. I mean, there's like the, what's his name? Uh, Colin Noir. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, the dude is like Gucci gun. Oh, he is. Uh, like, it, it's funny. I follow him on Instagram just because, like, the opulence and the, like, identity <laughs> and, like, the Gucci-ness. And it's just, so like, true. Like, like, the money. It's just, it, dude, the, like, I, I kind of laugh that there's, like, this weird, uh, like, I don't know, like, uh, there's a... Um, an identity associated with sure. it that's kind of like, I don't know, like uh, like I said, like, you know, driving a Gucci or having a Ferrari or something, like there's something that fits within that opposed from like, you know, what I kind of imagine, like when I think of like a lot of this stuff, I think of dudes in, in you know, Texas eradicating hogs. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I'm, I'm not watching his gun review. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm watching these dudes basically like stack 50 hog bodies in a night, you yeah. know, and, and are like, like to me, and I, I tell you guys, I watch these videos where these dudes are just killing hogs yeah and i laugh the entire time because they'll be like they'll they'll yell at them they got hog call it's epic but there's like two different sides to this stuff there's the people like this and then there's other people that have this like interesting kind of opulence identity associated with it you know absolutely it's true i do i do enjoy following him uh yeah you know i i uh i don't often agree with some of the stuff but but it is but you know but everybody is approaching like the uh, the overall goal in their own way. Like his overall goal is again what I believe to be you know to help educate people and to be a two A advocate. And and he's using his um, his opulence, as you put it, to yeah. to help so express that. Do you, do you guys remember the uh, Directv commercial where the uh, the Russian dude had like the little giraffe and he like kisses the giraffe and he's like opulence, I have it. <laughs> Like, you guys never saw I that. Know, I'm, so, gonna, so, so, I'm gonna have to check that out. So man. there's a there's a commercial for DirecTV, and it's like this Russian gangster, and it's like you know how they always have like these like falcons and crazy things, and there's all this gold, and he's like wearing this tracksuit, and he sits down, and uh, he like kind of like looks around. There's these girls, and he's like opulence, I have it, and uh, and then there's like they bring over this like, little mini giraffe, and he kisses it. Oh, it's I has it. Oh, I oh, has uh, it. Oh, I'm sorry. So opulence, I has uh, it, and then he YouTube, kisses. Yeah, YouTube opulence. I has it in the commercial. Comes yeah, and then, and then he kisses like the little mini giraffe. Now I want to know the marketing genius that came up with that pitch. <laughs> Hire that. Man. I'm like, we need that guy for power athletes. So Jeff, <laughs> you've been in this game pretty consistently now for two decades. Yeah, yeah. Right? How has and I feel like socially, yeah, things have kind of uh, amplified. Sure. With the, with the advent of social media. Of course. Like yeah, yeah. So how, like. How have your discussions changed? Maybe with folks who are um, not a, not aligned with gun rights and Second Amendment. For number one, number two could be also like how has the student changed in your course, mm. and maybe like your teaching style associated with that. This is a loaded question. Yeah, see where it goes. Sure. And then number three, like have weapons changed at all? So and, you know, not like you know, like weapons technology and and like has that 
adjusted well, your perspective or teaching with anything? Okay, so you're going to have to like start with the first question again. All right, so first question yeah. was, uh, how have your discussions changed with folks either uh, maybe that are on the same side for gun control or gun rights yeah, yeah. that maybe are misguided or opposing mm-hmm. views in the last 20 years? Um, I don't think my, like, I feel like my views have been pretty accurate for, for that duration. They might have been refined over that time period, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I haven't been, um, like, I, I have guilty knowledge within the firearms industry about how things really work and understanding that, you know, gun control is not about gun rights or gun, it's not about guns. Gun, gun control is about population control. So um, I've seen that from the very beginning. I've, you know, tried to be more vocal about... You mean population in terms of the numbers or just controlling... Controlling the, the population. population. Yeah, okay. sorry. Control and depopulation. Yeah, I thought you were on some Bill Gates, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Bill Gates in his evil lair being like, we need to come out with the coronavirus so we can kill one out of 12 people and get us down to the number of people we need. Uh, no, just just the the idea of being able to control the population as far as how they think and whatnot. But um, um, I think what has helped is that there are, like while my gut was telling me one thing, I didn't really have something to point to to help validate what my gut was saying. Now there's so many statistics, so much truth and facts that are out there that if somebody wants to actually hear the truth, they don't have to listen to me. They can they can research it. This this information is readily available thanks to, you know, the 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 access to the internet now. It's being so prevalent. So, you know, if you if you want to know that information, it is there for you to search for it. But the difference is that you have to want to see it. Like me telling you isn't the same. It's just us two having a discussion. But if you want to hear the opposing view and research it yourself, you'll find plenty of information about, particularly the statistics that are typically used to promote gun control being false and flat out lies. And I guess that's kind of where the question was floating around is, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, yeah. if you were to enter into that conversation <clears throat> with somebody who, who had a, a strong opposing view. Yeah. And I had that back then. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and even their opposing view... Uh, back then was naive in a sense because my my response was well okay i i'm i don't care if the fact that i own or carry a firearm offends you i don't i don't care if that hurts your feelings i don't i don't care i mean you know your feelings don't have any bearing whatsoever on my rights now if you want to talk about it we can i'm open to that but don't think for a moment that just because you're offended that I really care. I, I really don't. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for being who I am. I'm not going to apologize for the, the advocacy that I have for all of the constitutional rights, not just the Second Amendment. I'm not going you know, to apologize for the promoting of personal defense for yourself. Everybody has the right to life. Everybody has the right to live. So, no, I don't really care. If it offends you, that's, that's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> yeah. And I guess where, where I went from there then is, yeah, yeah. you know, as, as how, how have your students changed over time? So it's a, it, radically in the last two to three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, radically. And what I mean by that is, um, particularly this year, like I, we have to have a separate conversation about this year. Sure. But in the last two to three years, we were already seeing it, which is the new gun owners that were coming into the industry. Well, and, and they were, you know, minorities driven. So that had a lot to do with females and, and blacks. But what, what was interesting was 
um, you know, that's what a lot of people were paying attention to because they, they saw a low bucket, like an almost an empty bucket starting to get full. So it was naturally interesting to see that. But when you looked at the other bucket of just, you know, the everyday person, that bucket was also continuing to get full. So while these buckets started off a lot lower in comparison, they saw rapid growth. And so that, that immediately attracted a lot of people to, to what was happening there. And I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from that because it's wonderful to see so many, particularly, you know, females and and black Americans that are interested in trying to learn about self-defense for themselves. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that they've made that decision signifies a philosophical change Mm -hmm. in their thought process. So that's good. Um, When you look at it in this year, it's like, um, uh, there's a lot of theories. I don't think we're ever going to really know this for several years down the, until several years down the road. But what is an interesting fact is that we have seen more new gun owners in this year than we have in several years combined. Uh, there's an organization called... Well, wasn't that in uh, COVID? I mean, didn't COVID pretty much like... Kind of, but kind of, but there's also a other a lot right? of other things that were happening. So what we saw like when when COVID hit... And we had the uh, first lockdowns. We saw a lot of things happening, like you saw resources. Get, to- toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. Go figure on that one. Um, but what ended up happening was a lot of people that had been agnostic about firearms decided that this was the this was the shove they needed to get pushed off the fence. And they went out and bought guns. Right. So the covid that first wave kind of started to rescind a little bit. And now a lot of folks were second guessing the fact that they bought a gun, like, oh man, you know, I don't know if I really Are you selling them cheap. <laughs> why, you know, yeah. why, uh, why do you know anybody? <laughs> and I don't want your high point. <laughs> but um, right about that point in time, we had like about a three to four week hiatus, and then all the rioting started. And so all those people that originally purchased firearms that were second guessing their purchase now are realizing, oh crap, I'm glad I purchased this firearm. So uh, the NSSF, which is the like a big governing body within the firearms industry, uh, they've been putting out data points and information. And so I think it was as of the end of August, maybe, that there had been 5 million new gun owners in this year. So that you've got to let that soak in right mm-hmm. now. That's and every every month was like a record breaking month. And that's going from zero to one Gun, or zero to more, like more than zero guns, right? Like, right, yeah. At least so registered. So the, a new gun owner being defined as somebody who did not previously own a firearm. Right, right. That they were kind of like, again, agnostic about the old idea or just hadn't gotten around to it or whatever you want to come sure. up with. There's a lot of reasons. So it's super interesting to see that many people in our country that have decided that the firearm is an important and integral part of their life now. So, like, you could sit there and say, well, this is a trend that's going to die is eventually going to die. And I agree. I mean, all trends die. They, they eventually, you know, they, they skyrocket, they plateau, and then they dive off, right? But we have now moved into a different area where um, we're seeing a philosophical shift in the mindset of many Americans as, as it relates to guns. Mm-hmm. Like before, I mean, again, new gun owners, 5 million, that's a lot of people that have changed their minds over the last, over this, over this year. And, and obviously January, February, and March really don't count. So it's even less time period. But um, to me, the way that I interpret that is we have a lot of people who are 
maybe maybe the right way to to kind of describe them is that they're paying more attention. They're paying more attention to what's happening around them. They're recognizing that, you know, okay, global pandemic can can mean a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, rioting can mean a lot of bad things. Uh, personal defense, my, you know, the, the, the fact that we are defunding, the, you know, some cities have defunded the police and there's less police to, to actually police. And now response times are enormous and, and unrealistic in some cases. So all of these factors have contributed to these people changing their minds and, and, and they may not become 2A advocates, but they are now new gun owners. And if out of 5 million, if we got a half a million to become 2A advocates, that's a huge win. That's a fantastic win for us. Quiet. So radically in the last year and then over the last two to three years, absolutely, we started to see a trend in change. The, the, the winds of change were blowing probably two or three years ago. Yeah. So it's been it's been a very interesting and exciting time, excluding all the the hate and discontent. It's been very exciting from my perspective to see all these new folks coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. And then how about like weapons technology? Well, um, so when the Glock was introduced, I think in like the mid 80s. So the striker fired pistol kind of came into its own. Probably, I believe it became the preeminent firearm maybe as early as the end of the 90s, beginning of the turn of the century, I think it really kind of overtook the traditional legacy double action Wonder 9, right? I really feel like at that point, uh, we still will see occasionally departments that still have them, but most everybody is transitioning to some sort of striker-fired pistol. So I feel like, you know, when we look at the firearms industry as a whole, history, historically, in the last, you know, say the last 10, 12 years, we've seen a big change in that. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that technology development. There's been a few things, you know, probably within the last five years, we saw the mini red dot sites become pretty popular and uh, on handguns, and and that's that's a that's a current trend that we'll see. I don't think that's going to, uh, I don't think that's going to really. I think that'll probably gain with uh, with more the more gun owners that are coming out here. But the problem is, there's always going to be a barrier to entry as far as price is concerned. That's yeah. that's that's a costly thing, and so many of the new gun owners are just they're just barely able to afford a gun, much less being able to outfit it with all this other uh, bells and whistles. Um, you know, that's like. About, I would say, let's see, what what time period? I think it was 2016, 2017. The FBI came out with a change to their uh, defensive cartridge. So they moved from the 40 cal back to the 9mm. And that was a major philosophical change because what that signified was that the caliber wars were over. There really wasn't a, a need to have. I always a, hated forty. Yeah, I did too. There yeah. wasn't a real need to have a discussion about choosing a caliber anymore because uh, bullet technology had developed to the point where the nine, the forty, and the forty-five were performing terminally uh, so close to one another that it really it boiled down to uh, sometimes personal preference. But if you were smart, you would look and recognize that you could carry more nine mil than you could forty, right. and you can carry more forty than you could forty-five. So, you know, that was a big change that we saw. Yeah, and but you old dinosaurs love your 1911s. <laughs> I, have, I have so many of those. I have a lot. And I also found a lot of 45 in my, in my, in my purge of sorts. <laughs> I know you brought me a couple boxes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to see the defense ammunition for 
being able to perform on par with pretty much every other caliber that's out there right now, because that just reduces a lot of the logistics on my end. Of course, right now we're in a pandemic. It's really hard to find any oh, ammunition, yeah. but um, you know, the nine, one of the things that we talked about was that one of the things that we talked about was nine was so prolific at the time. And, and even before uh, the FBI jumped on the nine mil bandwagon, uh, it was so prolific. It was easy. You know, you could buy cases and cases and cases. And I remember I could buy, I was, uh, I think I was buying it at one point for like 13 cents, maybe 11 cents a round yeah. at one time, you know, 200 bucks for a case of nine. It was like crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're seeing obviously what's some, it going for now. Uh, it depends. Like I see some, uh, I, I, I've seen some advertised for like about 48 cents, but I think the average is closer to about 60 cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And I've, 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 I'm, I've, I'm disappointed because so many of these new gun owners are coming into this time period sure. without really any perspective. And they're seeing, Oh my God, this ammo. So, they don't really have a value of the cost of ammunition because they've never really paid attention to how cheap or it was. Like availability as well. Well, that's the key. I think most of so them at the range the other day, they were uh, selling one box. Yeah. So like the people went in, didn't have any ammo and they were like, so, you know, Hey, here's your range. And they sold the dude one box. And I watched this and I watched the dude go shoot it. And then he walked out. That's it's it. like, holy shit. Like, I, I feel like saying to the guy, I'm like, I don't need a box. Just give him my box. Uh, it's true. Like, there, there's a, there are a lot of things have changed in that sense. We have to be smarter about how we train. We have to be uh, more creative about how we create, you know, we stockpile our ammunition. We, we have to make some sacrifices again, uh, uh, you know, against our treasure, you know, because now you're paying more money for the, for the, for the bullets to, uh, to develop your talent. So I think that was a big, big, big change. And one that I'm actually really happy about because I, I cannot tell you how many times I would have a student show up with a 40 or 45 that just, it was the wrong, it was the wrong caliber for them. It right. was, it made right. training, it made learning so hard. Yeah. It really did. It's kind of like, um, I, so a buddy of mine gave me his golf clubs. Oh, nice. But they were these, advanced wedges oh, so wow. like number one i'm not a good golfer okay. but number two i come to find out after like three years my buddies let me golf with this stuff not like regularly once or twice a year they're yeah. like those clubs are impossible to control here try this oh wow you know and you're like you're like this is a totally different experience wow and it's like the same yeah thing with, with totally. firearm, right totally it's a very similar experience i should say well, i think ego plays into uh what people want to shoot or like what they think is cool and it's like um you know like what fits your hand what can you handle it's hard right now because the other problem is that there's so much information available. It's hard to weed through what's actually good information versus what's just opinion. And yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I was really happy about, and we started this um, back in 2018. That was the original conversation when I partnered with Brownells to come up with the Daily Defense video series. And the Daily Defense video series is directed at the new gun owners the first-time shooters, the the folks that are we're seeing coming into the fold, uh, even back in 2018, I saw I saw the writing on the wall that we were seeing a lot more of these folks coming into the industry, and and my intention was to you know to 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 create an an, an atmosphere where they felt welcomed, they didn't have to worry about not knowing anything, you know. Sometimes you go into some of these forums and you get like like burned alive because you said something that you didn't realize you shouldn't have said or didn't know the answer to or or you know call something a clip versus a magazine you know right. it's like right. you know everybody's like that does bother me <laughs> i but here's the thing they don't know any different right and and so i don't I, like i've gotten a little bit more kind of laid back in that sense and like what i'm trying to 
what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to provide them with an opportunity to learn in an atmosphere, in an environment that's not so judgy and not so kind of like demeaning in a sense yeah, that they can on actually that layer. Right? Yeah, right. exactly. That they can kind of, they can take a, they can kind of like tiptoe into the waters, if you will, and find out if this is really something that they want to, go further into. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like if they do, they're going to have a good base and they'll be able to kind of go into some of these other areas and learn from, not learn, but just kind of observe some of the other stuff that's out there. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people that um, probably 70% of the training that I provide is remedial training. Not We're not educating. We're re remediating because so many people come to us with bad habits, not because, you know, and again, if you're an empty slate or an empty glass, clean slate, you don't have bad habits. Right. You just, you just have habits, right? Uh, but if you watch a lot of these videos or if you subscribe to some of these other theories, I end up having to clean up a lot of mess when I get, to, when I get the students yeah, Just in the avoid class. all that stuff. Yeah, a lot it's of It's just easier. It can be. You know, we had a dude on the podcast a while back named Rick Smith. You know this guy. He's, he's like the wow. That's not an engine. That's yeah, not a common name or anything. Of, uh, it was Rick Smith. The Taser. Right? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Taser. Okay. Yeah. No kidding. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so we had him on, and uh, you know he. How did we get him on the podcast? Book. Oh. Our uh, our, our, our publisher. publisher. Our book publisher. Nice. Text always wink when you talk about this fella. I thought it was a girl. Oh, it is a girl. Oh. The yeah. publisher or Frontier the tier PR so connection. Uh, not a girl. Um, uh, but, so we get periodically hit up by this. Uh, um, this uh, frontier like, PR, yeah, it's like a PR for 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 books, and they looked at like kind of book, and they somehow latched yeah, like, on to Power Athlete husband. Radio, like was a like, fan of Power Athlete. Oh, Radio. I got you. And so, <laughs> so like all of a sudden, we'll get these like people on and be like, "Wow, this person's really interesting." How we got them? Like, oh, <laughs> I love it. That's awesome, man. Any connection to like human performance, mental, yeah, like yeah. any of these keywords, yeah. were like the first. Yeah, thing. they're like, oh, get them on Power Athlete Radio. And then, you know, hey, can you guys do it? So, yeah, we had Rick Smith on, who was CEO, uh, creator of the Taser. Yeah, and his, his position was ultimately like, well, right now, currently, the, the number one defense uh, tool is a weapon, yeah. right? Like, and, and offensive, I guess, offensive, defensive um, in tool to incapacitate someone is the gun. Sure. And he thinks that, you know, a lot of the, you know, I don't want to venture into... Like, what did he the, say? He said, officer... Um, driven deaths yeah. are just a technology, a technology problem. problem. So he, and it was interesting, I talked to, God, who did I just talk to? Uh, I was, man, where did I have this? Oh, um, okay, uh, somebody, oh, I, I know, when I was down at Flexi uh, two weeks ago working with those guys, I was talking about, and I made that comment, and they got pitched by him and his company with these drones, with the right. tasers on mm -hmm. the drones. The problem came down to uh, the accuracy of the drone to be able to deliver. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, think about how many oh, times the cops sure. deploy a taser Every and it, like, hits in the belt or doesn't get in. And, like, mm -hmm. like so there's, like, a whole kind of uh, margin of error for the technique, mm -hmm. the distance, what's covered, how it all does. Like, so it was pretty interesting. And they, um, he, was, he went big into the drone thing. That technology piece is pretty fascinating. But, um, you know, they... The one thing which is amazing, especially in our present climate, is, you know, when we hear about these shootings or these, you know, things come after the fact, and, like, everybody has this, you know, level of, I don't know, like, a perspective that's Monday morning quarterback. Oh, for you know, sure. You know, hey, this. And then you have to remember, like, this officer, this human who's in this position has, uh, you know, a split-second decision to make. Uh, you know, if he makes it properly, 
um, you know, uh, if he makes it improperly, how it all goes down. And it's like, you know, we, we have to remember that individuals are making these decisions in real time. Like we don't have the opportunity to like freeze and then right. go back and record in Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. I mean, for the same thing, like, you know, you turn on all the pundits like for every NFL show and these guys, oh, this guy's this and this. And you're like, Good dude, call. that quarterback made that decision in a split second. And you want to call him the worst that he's ever been just for that. Yeah. Right. Well, because th- that's human error. Right. And I was curious. So the, the concept is that machines and technology can and will always be able to outperform humans if you can develop the technology, right? Like if you were to look well, at like a yeah. supercomputer playing chess, for example, yeah. uh, it's, it almost always will outperform the average human, yeah. except for maybe the prodigies. But like that's what technology allows us to do. And he, you know, it's interesting. Now, I don't know that he solved the technology problem. No, he didn't say But he the idea is that with emerging technologies, there is a more efficient, less like less than lethal approach to uh, neutralizing bad guys, essentially, which I guess you could theoretically make that claim for self-defense, right? Like what? Uh, I mean, are you saying that uh, uh, everybody I'm not sure Should have a taser. Well, no, not necessarily. But do you is there a world where the like where the firearm is obsolete? And I'm not saying necessarily even within our lifetime, but like, you know, and there's a book about um, like, for example, turning oil into salt, which is uh, the concept that like once upon a time, salt was the most valuable currency. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like table Table, salt. salt. And then same concept with oil is like let emerging technologies obsolete oil because of oil being the devil. Uh, I'm not like necessarily aligning with these views, but then there's this with firearms. The reason we want firearms is because like it's the best thing we got, Mm. right? Like at this point, if you have the skill and the know-how, yeah. But I mean, like um, I don't know. I mean, I I, like the case in point. I had a a, one of my friends from college who lived up the street from me. uh, You know, went to Berkeley. His wife was very anti-gun. Didn't own any guns. Mm -hmm. And when this whole thing with COVID went down, and there started to be some (laughs) stuff, she's like, "How come we don't have any guns?" So he lives in Arizona. He calls me, like, speeding to the gun store with no idea what to buy. Like, you know, just call, like, dude, you're, you're my lifeline. So I called him, or so we're talking, and I'm like, hey, when you go in there, like, avoid all the nonsense. Like, here's the basics. Like, yeah, this yeah. is what you need. I was like, dude, Glock 19 and, and a, a, um, you know, an 870. Like, that's it. If you want to get something else after the fact... Like, if you're going to buy an AR, buy a factory AR. Don't build and do all this fucking bullshit because... Yeah. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, if you don't like it, you can actually sell it for, for what it is. Like, buy a straight-up factory. Like, if you buy a LaRue or a Nevesky or, a, a, you know, Knight's Armament or something, it will always value. When people start hodgepodging this stuff is where you run into problems. Yeah. So I was like, dude, if you had a Glock 19, an 870, and maybe, like, some factory AR, like an LMT or something, yeah. like... You pretty much don't ever, like, that's Man. it. You're good to go. Yeah. And uh, so he goes, and uh, what does he buy instead? He buys, like, uh, <laughs> um, uh, he, he doesn't fucking listen. Uh, wow. He bought, right. like, I think he bought, like, a Shockwave. Oh, my God. And he bought, uh, I want to say, like, an FN or some, some like, um, oh. you know, something else I would never own. And, like, and then, like, you know, the place that he went had built, like, um, you know, some, like, custom lower for that. I mean, just, like. Listen to everything I said. Dude, none of and, that, yeah. And did, oh, it was a CZ. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Bought, bought a CZ uh, that was, like, all polished. Yeah. You know, um, like, buys their, uh, the gun shop's factory lower with some, like, 
you know, fucking upper and like all this bullshit. And I was like, dude, like, and he's, he sends me pictures and calls me as he leaves. And I'm like, you didn't listen to a single fucking word I said, did you? <laughs> and he's like, well, I, I went in there and I was listening to salesmen. I'm like, I'm telling you, man, like <laughs> you just fell into the biggest fucking pitfall. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, but it just was funny that this guy who was, you know, went to Berkeley wife, anti-gun, like all of a sudden, like felt that they need. And he's like, what do I need to do now? I'm like, we well, need to get enough ammo to where you can actually go and find somebody to teach you how to use these. Yeah. Don't turn on the internet. Don't go oh, to YouTube. God. Like, like, and, and he has money. So I'm like, book, like, uh, find somebody in your area that'll like be able to t- teach you and like show you firearm uh, firearm proficiency and how to not fucking blow your dick off. Jesus. And uh, he ended up hiring to go and train with some dude who said the exact same thing. Was like, why'd you buy this shit? And he's like, oh, my buddy told me to get this. He's like, yeah, this is. <laughs> I threw you under so, the bus. <laughs> so so then I think I think he might have like bought more to try to like, like it just was like this deal and i remember thinking like man there's people like him that are 40 plus year old men who've never owned a gun all over that yeah. are going out yeah. with the idea and like here here was my comment like do you think that you're going to purchase these weapons and you and your wife are going to be fucking you know going heat style from car to car <laughs> engaging targets she's fucking covering you as you're fucking engaging targets yeah. you guys are slugging it out on the street with your fucking neighbors for toilet paper <laughs> And was, he was, was that your friend with the polo with his wife trying to protect their house? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking for you when I saw your Halloween picture, how come oh. you didn't go? I thought you were going to no. go as that dude. Okay, it's too oh. soon. It can't be this year. No, years no, 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 no. Dude, that would have been perfect. I was expecting khakis, a pink polo shirt, like a fake gun. And then her with like the pistol. You know? Oh God. Um, but uh, like that. And then I asked him, I'm like, what do you think's going to happen? Like, like, what's your mindset? Like, you're basically going to toss your, your wife or um, your wife the 870 and she's going she's gonna to lay like a cover fire for you to engage targets. I'm like what's the fucking goal here? And he's like well what if something happens? I'm like you're probably going to kill yourself or the dude's going to beat you and take your weapon. And he and I'm, I'm like I'm like I'm, but but like that's the kind of the the fantasy that people have that it's like so true. all of a sudden hey I, I purchased it. if some bad goes down I'm going to be proficient and I'm like you realize dudes spend their entire lives training for yeah. these very moments and still choke yeah. and you but yeah, you yeah. you you on the other hand you're good i'm, I'm like wa- i'm like watch heat <laughs> you're fucking you know you're a val kilmer <laughs> taking targets <laughs> which might like that's <laughs> i'm not like an anti-gun dude or, or anti-second amendment but it, it's a terribly inefficient piece of technology like it in the grand scheme of things in the hand of the unadapted unskilled uh, right. user that's but in the hands of a skilled user mm-hmm. i mean i've watched uh dude i i remember um jade and i um oh, I, yeah. uh, you, jade and i like i remember but my I'm, first time I'm, watching gonzalez shoot i'm like i didn't i thought that was only in the movies right <laughs> he's like shooting with his pinky behind his back <laughs> yeah. in the Under, air. none of this is true bullseye. none I'm, of this is true yeah, i remember uh, bullets I, I, I remember jade and i used to go out to uh angela's crest uh, out to their distance range Mm. And I remember it was, um, you know, uh, I have that uh, five and a half to 22 night force on that 300 wind mag. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a really? bunch of that like match 190 grain from Andy. Ooh. And uh, dude, uh, <laughs> I, I put them in, into my ballistics thing. You know, everything's sighted. Yeah. I start to open the scope. I was like put 10 rounds on a three inch piece of steel at 600. Nice. I mean, like it was like Jade was spotting and he's like hit. Yeah. Hit. I mean, yeah. we were just crushing it. And he's like. It's pretty good. I mean, like that's. Pers- I mean, like that's a that's a solid shot. Uh, but like, there's dudes that are you know 
fucking putting, you know, body size, if not smaller shots at a thousand yards. I mean, yeah. precision, like I was reading some uh, like long distance shooting where these guys are shooting out to like two and three hundred or two and three thousand yards. Yeah, it's crazy. With these insane like four sixteen shy tack that's going three thousand yards and these yeah. dudes are putting targets. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine with the drop and how they're all setting it up. And these dudes are out there shooting it. I'm like, that is a precision deal. Or you watch, you know, Jeff go out and teach or, you know, some of these other guys like um when I had the opportunity to go to Mid South, uh, the guys that the instructors were so good yeah. that it was almost to the point of like, holy shit! Yeah, like yeah. these dudes are like, uh, like just their movement is so efficient and how they move through space and like what they're able to do and their shots and how they do it. I mean, it's just fucking awe inspiring. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it just depends on what you're what you're looking for. Um, I I don't, you know, honestly. I don't ever see that happening. Yeah. Like I don't I don't I just don't see technology coming around that's gonna replace there's gonna be a lot of people that try to make that happen, but in the end, technology the you know, the the firearm, whether it's a handgun, a rifle, a shotgun, I mean you're not gonna be able you're you're gonna be able to replace it with something that is and when I say better, it's a better pistol, it's a better rifle, it's a better shotgun. Do you guys remember that movie Eraser? A race, uh, with, oh, with, with Schwarzenegger, with yeah, 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 where they had the Probably rail guns, yeah, and, uh, and they had right. the, uh, yeah, uh, so they had them like brought down to man size, and he's like, yeah, he's like, you ever seen one of these? He's like, yeah, on the bow of a <laughs> battleship, uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of a battleship, and they they scaled it down, and they were like using electromagnetic pulses to shoot those rails of like those projectiles. Mm-hmm. Like I saw that, and I was like, man, like. They're Someday. making a movie about this, but pretty soon you're going to have a pistol that's electric that's basically shooting a metal projectile on a rail at like, you know, fucking 5,000 feet per second. Yeah, that, so, but, but that's going to be, it's a better pistol. Yeah, it's right. a better rifle. It's a better But it's shotgun. still going to so require like an end user right. to master the technology. Right, and I, that's where, like, the, that's where the weak link is, is, is us, right? Like, well, and, But what's yeah. nice about that is we're also, we're adaptable. I mean, you're... you're yeah. The, that, what that's, you're doing is living proof is you're taking people along this level of proficiency. Now yeah. it takes time. Yes. Right? It takes time and it takes reps and it takes time. And like, I'm not against that, but man, that's the whole goal of technology is to like peel back time. So you're right about that. And I think where you see some improvements are are not necessarily going to be in uh, replacement, but more enhancement. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's they're they're going to be building better firearms. Like, will we get to the point where you know we're out of you know like a plasma rifle that that I can shoot and you know go through walls? Yeah, but it's still a rifle. Yeah, you know, it's just a better rifle. I think that we're going to get chipped up. Everyone's going to put the chip in their head, and then they'll just like turn you off. Oh uh, yeah, like on start. I like I can't say that's a bad idea I'll tell you this like 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 you're like eight o'clock is that me Sam you're like that sleep was amazing like the house burned down around me uh, and I pissed myself but goddamn that sleep that sleep sleep was great in the west world I know y'all haven't seen it but the future Man, I've seen the first. If two. they didn't like, so I uh, I have Amazon Prime, but they charge for it. Yeah, HBO. You got on, on HBO. And it's I don't not have HBO. TV, John. 
It's HBO. It's HBO. Well, yeah. I know, but it's just like the free Spotify account. I can't take myself to pay the 99 cents a month to get the paid Spotify. I'm not like a big spender like well, that. Well, you need to, here's what you need to do, John. Just like, well, we start to hit up all your buddies, ask them if they've seen it. And if they say, yeah, ask them if you can get their HBO Go login. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just do that. Well, uh, back in the day when when what was it movies uh, movies HD yeah, used yeah. to have all that stuff mm-hmm. eh, that doesn't work anymore. It's out. Popcorn Time was also another one. Mm-hmm. But, what, uh, what about teaching technology like uh, virtual reality? So you have some role playing scenarios. Is yeah. there a way that you can remotely teach? Um, well, or does that not replace? Because it's there's not something that is remote. Uh, but there are some really cool, very realistic, uh, like uh, scenario, like uh, like I don't know what to call them other than uh, they're like a projected imagery of some sort of scenario that has an actor that's acting, mm-hmm. and they have a a, a a program that they follow, and they can deviate based off your actions or your commands. I mean, some of these things uh, we're using. On the um, you know on the special operations side to help create a shorter yeah. gap between the decision making. So uh-huh. one of the things that we're always trying to do is we're always trying to improve our decision making, right. right? So that's the number one goal for everything. Like everybody sees like shooting down here, but they don't realize that what we're trying to do is improve your decision making. And so uh, the way that we would do that decision making process to improve it so that it's more it's it's more accurate and it's more timely was you would just go through and just go through the, the shoot house a jillion times until you had enough familiarization that you could become anticipatory. Right. Um, and so that is a very big thing. And these, scenari- these simulators, if you will, allow you to replicate all these various types of scenarios in a much more timelier capacity. Right. Like, I right. mean, so guys are getting wh- what I call a look. They're getting a look and a, a several different looks all in this short time period. And those looks are like little bitty imprints in your brain. Like, I've seen that. I know how to react. I've seen that. I know how right. to react. I've seen that. And I make a better decision when I have to react. Hey, quit it. I make a better decision because I've seen that or what we call bridging the gap. So it's not exactly what you saw, but you've seen something close enough that you can make a decision that is mostly right and going to get you through right. because you made that decision faster. Right, right. And you executed based on that decision-making faster. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those, those are where I see the real fun stuff coming. Is when it's, and it's not necessarily virtual. It's, it, you're, you're participating in this kind of three-dimensional aspect of a, of a simulator that's kind of running you through all these different right. scenarios. So, yeah, I think that's going to be huge. We, we already see several of them throughout the country. Um, they're, they're awesome. I mean, they really are. I mean, they, they, they're so, they're very, I shouldn't say so, but they're very lifelike. But what I love is that you could like, you make a mistake, you just reset and go through it again. Yeah. You, like that, yeah, exactly. Right? Like you can just back exactly. Up. Exactly. Just reset and do it again. And the cost savings now. The, so the, kind of like total recall. Almost. But but not you're not getting anything shoved up your nose. Mm. <laughs> Just shoved up your ass. Quato. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite in the moment I remember the most in that movie. We should, we should write that and do another one on that. Was when it. he's like the huge woman, and then like the helmet. Two like weeks. like oh, yeah. Yeah. Weeks. <laughs> That's a good one, dude. There's so many good parts in that movie. Yeah. Like, oh that. yeah, that was a pretty so good. Now that movie. we're on movies. Oh goodness. Yeah. As a you know highly proficient individual firearms and yeah, yeah, yeah. weapons and I guess an educating 
non-proficient folks, um, as you watch fl- films, yeah, yeah, and I think Andy kind of has the the market corner. He's kind of cornered this with tactical, tactical asshole. asshole. Yeah, uh, yeah. like, did, are you watching shit and like, oh come on, like, do you have a higher visibility to stuff in movies where you just kind of it loses you, or do you just kind of let it slide? So, like, if I if I approached. Like if I approached entertainment with that type of attitude, I I wouldn't be entertained. I would be disappointed. <laughs> right. Right. So I have to look at entertainment for what it is. Like, would I do it that way? Would I? Is that how it really works? Um, is there a better way to do it? Yeah, of course there mm-hmm. always are. But uh, having been on the back end of Hollywood and seeing how all of that works, there also there's there's certain. There's certain things that they're aiming for, literally, no pun intended. There's certain restrictions they have to work within. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot. So I don't get wrapped around the axle anymore. Once I've seen behind the curtain, I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I might take, I might take, a t- I might do a tip of the hat to something that I see that I was like, oh, wow, well, that's pretty cool. That, they, you know, they, they put some work in it because what I, what I can appreciate yeah. is the work that went into doing that. For example, heat. Well, Heat was... God, I love that movie. But Heat, yeah, Heat is good. I mean, that's that, that's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Ooh, uh, I like that. I like where this is going. Well, no, I it just... feel like Texas... <laughs> so, you know all those signs? That you're like, he's going to attack you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, dude, when they come out of, of the uh, of the bank in Heat and like that yeah, whole thing... Yeah, when, when, when they're moving from car to car, it, engaging it, it, it like... Yeah. It, it was very well done. And the way that they, they brought in uh, experts... Yeah. And the crazy part is they didn't want to do it on a soundstage. They wanted to film it so they yeah. could film it on Sundays. They shut everything down. Yeah. They brought in, I think, like, you know, legit SOCOM guys and was like, hey, if you were in this type of urban environment, Quiet. how would you engage? And yeah. they did a good job. Well, it's not bad. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. Um, I guess it just depends on, like, wh- how you're looking at it. Like, there's a couple of other... There's a couple of other movies that I thought did a pretty good job on some of the on some of the that scene. Like but, Charlie Sheen in in uh, <laughs> uh, Navy Seals. Yeah, exactly. Well, the Australian Peel was pretty cool, but um, <laughs> no, like I mean, like like if you're looking at a video and you're watching that, what you're seeing is you're seeing about 13 different video s- cuts all spliced together to make it look like the way it does, right? So when I'm looking at something, I'm looking at something that doesn't have those cuts that you're looking at the actual... Like pro- a follow shot. Yeah. Like the progression of somebody that does it. And I, I think there's a couple of guys that do a really good... Um, Canoe Reeves does it really good. Um, another guy that I think does it really good is Tom Cruise. Yeah. You know, he does you know, like his fight sequences and, all, and his gun handling stuff. They're all... They're, they're, they're legit. They work hard at that. And that's what I can appreciate is not so much what I'm watching... But looking at, through my lens, yeah. what it took to be able to do that, like yeah. the practice uh, that they John had. John Wick's to... pretty good. Yeah. He, I mean, he, yeah. Like, like, how he, like his use of, uh, yeah. of, of like how he uses the weapons and all like, yeah. the, like the different systems he's, he's using. It, it's good. I mean, like I said, I don't agree with everything there, sure. but I like it because yeah. what I can appreciate is the hard work that he put in to get in his, his ground game up. His striking game up, his shooting game up, his movement game up, all of that, all those, you know, all those things had to be worked on outside of the set. And then he had to take what he learned and be able to use it on the set. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with guys like Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like those I'm are thinking of the scene in Collateral where he's like, hey, homie. Yeah. I just quick, briefcase. I quickly Googled. I know you guys make fun of me. You mean I, Collateral with uh, Tom Cruise where yeah, he's yeah, in the... Yeah, so yeah. Oh, man, it's a great movie. Great movie. So for, started this Google two days ago. Yeah, most realistic <laughs> gun scenes before that this first search comes up. Is it Transformers? Up, that Google it's got you to know. Way of the Gun, 
Lone Survivor, John Wick, and then any Michael Mann film, which includes <laughs> Heat and Collateral. And uh, Transformers. Isn't that Michael Bay? That's, That's Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Oh, my, okay, my, not Michael Mann. Yeah, so The Way of the Gun was probably one of the early ones that started Wasn't it that, all. Wasn't uh, Benicio Del Toro? Yeah, yeah, yeah and Ryan Philippe. Yeah. But the nice thing about that one is that the gun handling, all the gun handling they did there, they actually worked. That was one of the first films that uh, had legitimate team guys working on it. Oh, hmm. cool. Yeah, so the, the, but they, but here's the thing. They were old school team guys that were working and running 1911 single stack guns. So uh, that's why you see so much of their magazine exchanges and hmm. stuff like that and the way they run all that, all that stuff. So that, that was good. I mean, yeah, I mean, what was, what was the four, top four? Way of the Gun, Lone Survival, John Wick, and any Michael Mann film. Lone Survivor. So, like, the, the actors did, and the same thing there, because, like, I literally was um, in New Mexico the week, like, they finished all, they, they, they trained up the actors there in New Mexico at the same range that I was going to. Oh, no and kidding. I got there, um, my class started on a Friday. They finished filming and stuff on a Friday, so I got there. Where in New Mexico? Roswell? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was Albuquerque. Oh. But, um, like... Uh, you spent much time at Roswell? No. No, not at all. <laughs> only aliens go to yeah, Mexico. Only, <laughs> only aliens go to Mexico and Roswell. But uh, like, I got um, like I, I got a chance to watch some of the stuff that they were working on, and just the amount of brass that was on the range at the end of that week from all their stuff because they just swept it to the side so they keep working. Uh, there's actually a pretty decent video of on YouTube of the uh, Lone Survivor training things that they did out there. You know, Marcus was out there to kind of oversee a lot of it, and he had a lot of frogmen that were there, real frogmen that were actually putting him through all that stuff. So, yeah, that was another legitimate um, kind of uh, movie scene of sorts. Uh, how's Marcus Luttrell doing? I, um, normally he's um, on some pundit yeah. shows, but I, I just haven't seen him in a while. Didn't I didn't know if he either. was... Um, he, you know, because last time I saw him on some pundit show, he didn't look very healthy. I didn't... Uh, last time I did, a, I did a podcast with him. I did the Team Never Quit podcast, and that was a couple years ago, I think. It was great. I mean, I you know we had a good time. He seemed he seemed good then. Uh, I I I haven't actually really paid attention to the fact that I haven't seen. I've seen Team Never Quit on there a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. their their social media is pretty good. They're 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 um, they're doing a lot. But I haven't really seen Marcus. We had a we had a teammate that passed away from a, a post surgery complication uh, last week. I think it was maybe the week before. And it's a close teammate to a lot of us, especially here in Texas. And um, uh, that was like the first time I saw Marcus make a post in a long time. I hadn't yeah. seen it. I, 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 out of sight is out of mind for me a lot of times. I don't yeah. notice yeah. it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I see a post from him. And I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't seen anything from him in a while. And unfortunately, it was a, it was a farewell message to, to the guy that we lost. So that was the last time I actually saw anything from him. Mm. What else we got? Well, then you got, uh, then what was the other one? So we had Lone Survivor. What was the fourth? John Wick. John Wick. Which, yeah. John, John, he did so much prep work for that. Yeah. Like that, again, is what I can appreciate is, and, and like all of the other actors that are involved in that all did, like, I'll tell you the, the, the third, I think it's the third one where they had the dogs. Yeah. And, uh, Halle Berry put in some long days at trying to get that level of control over the dogs. Those are Belgians, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they they're, were they're good looking dogs. They were they were. I like the fact that they had Kevlar vests. Yeah, was well, they do. They I mean, I, I just thought that was badass. <laughs> yeah. that they had Kevlar vests. Yeah, yeah. They they're 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 pretty. They 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 got to carry some some load there in that sense. But uh, she did a fantastic like job. Like unfortunately, 
working with an animal like a dog on a set like that is not an easy thing to do. And that's why you can see so much of the cuts and edits. You can see a lot of the cuts and edits in, in that scene, but it's just because the dogs, you yeah. know, that, 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 that's not an easy thing to do because obviously they don't so I have operate at the same level. No idea what you're talking about, which makes me think I haven't seen John Wick 3. You haven't seen John Wick three with the I do not know with I, Holly Berry where I guess not I'm where he goes to Casablanca. Yeah, I don't think I've seen John Wick three. Uh, I I like John Wick three because they add a lot of pieces from like the backstory mm-hmm. that help lot. you kind of I mean, understand I've, the whole thing. A lot they are making for. I also haven't seen three. Oh really? wow, no, but I I so love two just simply because of Rome, but. Uh, two, two was great. I liked all the fighting in the catacombs. What I'm always interested yeah. in, and actually my favorite part of two is when he goes to the sommelier, where the guy's like the gun sommelier, and then yeah, like yeah. takes him, and he's like, what variety would yeah, you like? Yeah, 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 like yeah. It's so cool. And he's like, ah, the vanilla M4. And he goes through it. Like I, I really thought that that was very well done. Yeah. And just very cool. It was cool. I think actually in two, the fight, like the catacomb stuff, I'm like, yeah. But I thought the fight scene between him and... Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Is it Method? It's not Method Man. It's um, oh, Common. Oh, Black Dude. Common. Yeah, Common. Yeah. yeah. But, because, I mean, Common comes not necessarily from a strong fight background at right. all. But yet the two of them and how they... Yeah, when they were in they, the, uh, the yeah, subway. The subway, down the stairs, yeah. all of that stuff was legit. That was some good... Chore- I mean, it's all choreographed. But like what I tell people is, yeah, yes, it's choreographed, but they still have to learn all of that stuff. And then they have to learn how to... What, to, to to dance, if you will. What I liked was uh, when he you know gets his arsenal, he sets it up as he's going into the catacombs, uh-huh. and he goes the one way, uh-huh. and he has to redirect, which is back to where the guns are. Yeah, yeah. So he had like a different idea, like, hey, I'm going to get out this way and I'll be fine. But if things go, I'm going to retreat back this yeah. way. And he had everything set up. It was like he was... I I would just appreciated that little piece of like yeah. he didn't go that way and like engage he like had an opportunity he got shut off because he he got smoked and then he had to go out that way which I thought was good. It, I mean it, it's a it's a good series. I think there's a fourth one coming out and five. Oh okay. Well just keep making them like I, I mean they need to rival money, the fast. It's yeah no doubt I I can't stand that anymore. What? Ugh. Yeah. Well anymore. So at one point Dominique Toretta. Like after the fast after the first nine hundred and seventy after the first one it it just was like. Ugh. Oh, I thought the first we, one was Jeff, great. We have so much in common. <laughs> uh, dude, the first one was good. It was. And I liked the first one. And then the pinnacle of the series was the second one, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> oh, was that the third? That, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the pinnacle for me was Tokyo Drift. Like, I, I like this. I love that one. The first one was good. The second one was okay. I, I didn't actually, I think I only watched the third one as a uh, tip of the hat just to say that I could watch the fourth one knowing, but then, you know, there wasn't all the same characters in the third one. Well, the third one, they, uh, they didn't want to remake anymore. So they made the third. And then I think uh, Vin Diesel ended up buying the franchise. That's right. Uh, so I think it was a power play for him to kill it so he could buy it. Yeah. And then they made it with that other dude who was awful. But man, that was great in Japan. I loved it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it like it's hard not to like some of the muscle cars I mean, in we there. We call text DK for a reason. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, uh, no, you wouldn't wait, unless you've seen the movie DK. Granny shift in that double clutch. <laughs> uh, well, I dropped out when they killed Gina Carano. So 
Yeah, but that was like in seven. We're talking about two or three. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about Fast and Furious Three, Tokyo Drift. I just it's, to me, it's really the pinnacle of it. Like uh, everything else is the, from there has been downhill. And then and then the Hobbs and Shaw thing, which we've discussed at nauseum, is awesome. <laughs> like I, I like the only like, thing I like from that is the. <laughs> Jason starts those fucking monologues. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> well, what about the fact that he's in his 50s and his sister's in her early 20s? I'm like, did nobody notice that they're like 30, 40 years difference in yeah, age? Yeah, but uh, like... No, Helen Mirren was the uh, the two eight, the two British guys' mom. I, yeah, that's right. And, and like, but like, I love her. The chick is awesome. like twenty six, and yeah. he's like in his fifties. And then they're showing pictures of them as kids, and I'm like, does anybody is anybody else not buying this? What are you, yeah. the movie police? Well, I, I know, but like, here's the thing: like, I realize that it's uh, sensational and, and it's like yeah, you know, yeah. make believe. But like things like not making characters within like the same uh, fucking gener like two or three generations, that's a problem. Okay, maybe she was adopted. Right. She was born in 1998. Her name We've is Vanessa Kirby. I know we you have. have. So you're going real life age. Mm. Yeah, so she was born in 98. Jeez, Statham was 67. Holy shit, he's <laughs> older than me. So what's that? 20 plus years? No, 30 years? Yeah. Almost 30 years difference? 29. Yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, 29. And they're 31. showing them. 31. Yeah. Uh, and they're showing them as kids together, like doing some little heist with like uh, firecrackers. And I'm like, isn't she like 20 something? And he's like 50 something? I think you can plus up five to 10 years on an actress and you could drop down five to 10 years. So let's say we take 20 years out of the equation, they could be a 10 years difference. Where did you get 20? Your math is is really lame. Listen, five and five is to, 10. Well, I said five to 10. So oh, I see. The upper end. Uh, the you had me at five, but 10 is Dude. pushing it, Luke, okay? 10 it, is pushing it, just, it. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, and, 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 then the, and then the mom, who's probably in her, like, 60s, least, right? Yeah, like, I think I'm early like, 70s. So, hang on. so let's, go, let's go with 21 Jump Street, not the original but the movie starring... It's great. Uh, Tandem Tandem. Yeah. Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah It was actually... So those dudes are like 35, and they're playing high schoolers. Yeah, and it but wasn't believable the then that's either. That's the point of the uh, movie, though. So ah, you guys don't get it. 18. <laughs> uh, Helen Miram is only 18 years... No. Older than Statham? What's, what yeah, 45 she? and 67. Yeah, so 18, that's yeah, reasonable. She could have 22. had a kid at 18. 22. 22. Okay, she yeah, but, she, but she's not having a kid at 55. Well, it's possible. She's, Maybe. She's a good-looking woman. She could have done that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just... It's not about the looks. It's about the plumbing. I'm told. I'm, and then, I'm at, like, and then the problem the is... being and, viral. Yes. And then, like, yes, the no. weird uh, the the weird love interest between her and The Rock, which was totally so... Totally natural and well-acted. So uncomfortable. I bought it. I was, like, I, oh, I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Was it as terrible chemistry as Colin Farrell and the the one chick from Miami Vice? That was so bad. Uh, Which, that was orders of magnitude I'm better. I'm a fiend for mojitos. <laughs> orders of magnitude better. Oh, you're talking about the, Vice, the, mm -hmm. the one where he played? And yeah, like, Michael Mann. Where, where he's got Mann. that terrible hair. And like, you know, they're, they're on the jet boat. He looked great. And uh, uh, dude, he's like, they don't like my passport. She's like, my cousin is the 
I don't know, the Harbor Patrol or something. <laughs> well, that, that actress doesn't speak any English. She had to learn all her lines phonetically and had no idea what they meant. That's, that's why they had no chemistry. <laughs> I thought no, they, no. they had way more chemistry you in that movie language. than The Rock had this in is, Hobbs and Shaw oh, that's, with this other chick. That's bad. Oh, you don't need language to have chemistry. Mm, mm, but the bartender no. that he dropped the line, <laughs> I'm a fiend for mojitos too, that is chemistry. So and she was hot. That's not no 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 no. He didn't drop that line. He dropped it to the chick where she asked him, "Where do you want to get a drink?" And he said to her as they were getting on the jet boat, "I'm a fiend for mojitos." And she's like, "I know a place." <laughs> and then they get in the boat, and he takes her, or, or they go to Cuba. He says a Cuba. different line. You're not wrong. He says a different line to that bartender that you're like, they they banged on the side, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then who was um? It was uh, Jamie Fox was uh, played Tubbs, who was also a good Tubbs, but didn't have necessarily as big a part as he should have. Agree on that part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, dude, I I'll tell you this: if they made uh, if they made a hundred Miami Vice movies, I would watch every single one. <laughs> yeah, of me too. I loved that I, TV I, I show. Too, I love. Got a I got a newsflash for you: you can watch Miami Vice one hundred times. It's <laughs> um, also an acceptable. Yeah, I mean, like if if <laughs> they, if Miami Vice was in like the fast deal where they just had like oh Miami Vice two three four that would be a winner. I would watch them all do that because is I still, a winner. I'm gonna make I your still, day because there's a director's cut. That has 30 extra minutes, like in the, the theatrical cut, it just like ends with this boat chase, or starts off with this boat chase. Well, there's like a 30-minute plot that leads up to this rate, like this chase, mm-hmm. that it actually has substance, and it's great. Uh, like, dude, I, I really liked the movie. I thought, uh, I mean, I, I, I was a huge yeah. fan of the TV show. Yeah, but, I was. But I maybe was it's disappointed by the movie, well, to be honest. Well, like, I think as kids, like, like, I have to remember there's perspective on everything. I remember as a kid watching Miami Vice, Yeah. and the fact that Don Johnson, one, he wasn't wearing socks, two, he had, like, that white suit on with, like, the pastel shirts, and then, like, a shoulder holster yeah. rig. Yeah. yeah. And then he always had, like, these dope Ferraris. He drove a white Testarossa, which to this day... I, it like would be my dream beat. car. Yeah, it was I, cool. And then, and then Tubbs I, had that like badass little blunderbuss. Yeah, like he had that like uh, basically like mini like, like blunderbuss the, shotgun. The, so, the 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 series. I love the series. I thought the series was pretty awesome. There's no doubt about it. It came at a perfect time. You know, you had you had Miami Vice, you had Simon and Simon, you had Magnum PI, you had all those that yep. were rolled out on Thursday, Friday nights, kind of thing. So it's hard to beat it. But the movie, I thought really tanked like i just didn't think it did well like i think what did well out of the movie was like the the score like that was yeah, that yeah, was always yeah, epic yeah. you know the score and like the cinematography yeah like the acting i didn't yeah. like it just kind of was flat and drag yeah i mean i don't know about you guys but i've always wanted to get a jet boat and tell somebody i'm a fiend for mojitos and go to cuba i don't know i mean uh Call me old-fashioned, but it sounds like a great time. <laughs> well, I would rather go to Kentucky and get an old-fashioned. Oh, I, like, I, I do like me an old-fashioned. That is, uh, you know, Power Athlete has a, a company steak, which is known as the Kobe fucking Tomahawk, mm-hmm. and our company drink is the old-fashioned. Yes, rightfully so. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. You're absolved you have, of that sin. And if you can have an old-fashioned with a Kobe fucking Tomahawk, you're pretty much just hitting nirvana. There's nothing, uh-huh. The only thing missing would be a nice cigar to go uh-huh. with that post-meal mm-hmm. 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 to kind of help tie everything off I'm gonna ask so what's how what are your thoughts on bad boys and the weaponry like the the firearms proficiency are you talking about the movie Mike Lowry Lowry. Lowry. (laughs) 
Bad Boys 1. Okay. Bad Boys 2. Bad so, Boys. I, I like Bad Boys 1. Everything else was garbage. Yeah, I would agree. Like, going, like the, the, the first one rocked it. They yeah. were, they, yeah. that's that, like, and I do look for, like, I didn't think that Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx had chemistry together as, as like co-actors. Yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. really didn't do it good. And oh, I don't know why. Yeah. But th- there wasn't oh. the same kind of interaction that you saw with the TV version. But the, um, the Jamie, uh, no, so, um, Will Smith, Will Smith and Martin, Martin Lawrence, yeah. their chemistry. Bay. Oh, yeah, 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 Transformer. <laughs> the complete yeah. difference. So yeah. it was, it was awesome. Their chemistry yeah. was great. I mean, Will Smith coming out is both kind of like the action slash comedy star. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Martin Lawrence is just his backup comedian. You know, the, the, yeah. the sidekick was awesome. I mm-hmm. love that. Um, I agree that like two kind of was like, that was just retarded. Yeah. And then forced three, three wasn't. Three was an improvement over two, but not an improvement over one. What, what was the one where they get in the shootout with the uh, with the Rasta dudes? Was that yeah, one or two? That was two. That was yeah, two. that was awful. Yeah, like they're in the Hummers, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the whole 360 deal. Three sixty camera. Yeah, and and then the other yeah, one was like the uh, the overstressed chief. You know the Woosah. Oh like yeah. Like, <laughs> Dude, no, that that, that Woosah has worked its way into everything. Like 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 if you see somebody like Woosah rub their ears, you know it's a great. Well, that, reference. That's one of my favorite characters in movies. Is the overstressed chief yeah well, it's because if you have a buddy cop movie you have to have the over so chief because well, it doesn't work in the buddy uh, cop beverly hills cop yeah his his the other guys, the other guys. yeah um, the other guys had a great one with uh, lethal, michael keaton yeah. it was good uh, lethal he's, weapon he's like, yeah he's like you gotta creep he's like whoa, whoa, whoa are you doing tlc yeah uh, <laughs> le- lethal weapon yeah. lethal weapon uh, probably has like uh, they pushed it with some of those but like when they brought on Joe Pesci, okay, on, okay, the, okay. on the second one, <laughs> it was a it was a dynamic that was yeah. a distraction, but yet it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, like yeah, because like I mean, it's hard not to like it's hard not to like you know those two characters. Those characters uh, were. I were still good. like I I I know Mel Gibson has had a kind of tumultuous past recently. Yeah. I still fucking love the guy. Oh, I, I do too. I, I am. I'm getting redemption. I'm such a big Mel Gibson fan. I like, too, I, like, dude, like, Mad Max. Oh, like the other day, like, uh, um, so the kids, like, uh, if we watch Netflix, they get to pick a show. And then they usually pick something that's like 20 minutes. And then I'm like, let's watch The Patriot. Ah. And the kids will be like, oh, like, you pick something that's two hours long. I'm like, yeah, I get to pick my show. This is my show. Ah. So like, I, yeah. I, like, I, I, like I made that it watch The Patriot, which movie. is one of my favorites. It is like, hard to beat. God that, damn it. There's so many good movies. That, that's in. true. He, he, Mad he, Max, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Oh like, dude, God. the amount of movies. He's yeah, like, he's done Lethal some Weapon. great. Lethal Weapons were kind of some of my favorites. I, like one of the other ones that I really liked with Mel Gibson in it was was Tequila Sunrise. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah he, a, he and Kurt Russell and, yeah. of course, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Who is still... Knockout. Dude, fuck. and, and uh, one of my other favorites was uh, Payback. Do you remember oh, yeah. that one yeah. where yeah, yeah. he plays uh, um, yeah. the guy? Like, yeah, uh, is that the, the time where he puts the seatbelt on and crashes? Yeah, where the, yeah, 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 he, he puts the on the mouthpiece on. Yeah. Yeah, the helmet. helmet. That was awesome. Dude, Payback is... Uh, dude, I love that yeah. show. He's got a couple of good ones uh, that are newer that people just, I don't think, really appreciate. But I like how he's kind of gone in that direction, like the... Uh, uh, like the the father figure that had to go in and kind of rescue his daughter. That was a good one. I mean, like, I like, like, I like him as the uh, like as the like 
Martin Riggs, kind of like the guy from Tequila Sunrise. Like, I think like that's his that's his best narrative right in that area. Like it's it's both action. You know, he can still kind of do some good whoop assing, but at the same time, he's kind of got that romance, that leading man kind of mm-hmm. like chemistry of sorts. It's great. Yeah, I do. I'm I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, Mel Gibson rocks. Yeah, Tequila Sunrise. I haven't seen this. No. Oh uh, my god. And so, what year is it? It's got to be ninety. It's eighty eight. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That was a good and movie. And you call yourself a Kurt Russell I, fan. I remember. What? You can't believe, I can't believe you haven't seen that movie. I think I, 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 do no I, wrong. I think I remember seeing this movie on VHS was we oh, rented I had it. it. Yeah, we rented this yeah. as, as kids. I had that movie. I've definitely seen it, but I like not enough to know. The plot one-liner sounds, I'm all already I'm What already is the in. plot one-liner? <clears throat> a former L.A. drug dealer. Tries to go straight, but his past and the un- his underworld connections bring him into the focus of the DEA, the Mexican feds, and the Mexican drug cartels. Ooh, that's eh. good. I imagine that Kurt Russell's the straight shooter FBI, and kind of Gibson's the former drug dealer. Yeah, wow. he's he's not he's that's not good. really the former drug dealer, but he is he is he's kind of criminal minded. Yeah, he's got some he's got a sketchy past. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell you what, there's another unsung. Oh, wait. Um, Jeff Bridges, another like uh, from this time, this kind of like time time span, was Eight Million Ways to Die oh, with Andy Garcia and God, I, dude, you remember that? That yeah, was, but a, I can't. I like I I can see their faces yeah, yeah, on yeah. like the cover, but yeah. I can't remember what. Yeah. Oh my God, that movie was. What year was that? Nineteen eighty six. Yes, that was a good movie with with uh, with Jeff Bridges. Probably one of my favorite like movies where. He, We're uh, looking at a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, a like former police detective still recovering from his alcohol addiction mm-hmm. is seamless, seamless, seemingly drawn into L.A.'s criminal underworld after stumbling upon a local drug ring. I'm God, already in. I love how all these movies take place in L.A. with this seedy underbelly. Oh, my God. So true. Because, I mean... Yeah, it's they're like, not like the seedy underbelly of Austin, Texas. <laughs> There's no it's always, like, in L.A., yeah. and, and then it shows them down at the docks. Mm-hmm. There's Long Beach. Is, yeah, oh, I no, true. I mean... They're up in the valley. Like, um... Like when we bought this table from those Russian drug or uh, Russian mobsters, alleged, alleged. <laughs> so Yuri, like, Yuri. There is a. Let's see. Uh, what's another good one from there? Um, there's another Michael Mann one from that time Thief. period. No, but that's a good one. Um, but no, this one was to live and die in L.A. Mm, that's another good one. That was a good movie. Yeah, everything was. I mean, uh, uh, Lethal Weapon was t- took place in L.A. Mm-hmm. Dude, the scene die where hard. he's stuck on the toilet. Die Hard. Yeah. Die. Well, but Die not Hard. Not just a Christmas movie. Not just a Christmas movie. So, like, our uh, the rule in our house is the um, if I'm not mistaken, what's the year that Lethal Weapon came out? Eighty seven, and then Die Hard came out in eighty eight. Right. So yeah. the, there's a go ahead. There. So like every odd year we watch Lethal Weapon for Christmas, and every even year we watch Die Hard for Christmas. No kidding. That's yeah. that's so an there, excellent. There's a, it's a movie, tradition. There's movie trivia. Text fill fill me in here. I believe it was Die Hard with a Vengeance was originally a Lethal oh, yeah. Weapon script. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of bleed over between these yeah. guys. Like because originally Bruce Willis was supposed to play Martin Hick, Martin Riggs. Ooh. Yeah. Originally that script was kind of written for him, but he there was a movie project that he was involved in that took precedence and he stepped out and that's when Mel Gibson took in. But what was funny oh, wow. was Mel Gibson was also originally slated to play 
McLean. McLean. John McLean. Oh, oh, so they kind of switched. They had this complete role. And usually when something like that happens, when an actor passes up on a blockbuster, they get totally, they, they, they tank in a sense, like they regret it. But in this case, they both went on to make several, yeah. like like half dozen His, films out yeah. of all of them historic in those roles. Yes, right. historic characters. Yeah. Like, I mean, like as far as like the lone gunman, lone wolf kind of thing, I mean, you know, John McClane is, is pretty much as good as it gets in that sense. Uh-huh. But that's why I think Lethal Weapon does a little bit better because it's got that buddy chemistry, yeah. that kind of yeah. like that. Did, did you guys see the, uh, the third installment of uh, uh, Die Hard? Yeah, that's the one where they went Avengers. to Russia. Oh, no, no, that's, that's not the third. That's four. I made oh, the correction. That's five. That's five. Yeah, I four made the mistake of good. watching that one. Yeah, and with his kid and his it girl. Was, like I couldn't. Like yeah. I was like, this is awful. Like this yeah. was like one of those movies where like, hey, your studio deal is one more movie we're gonna make this. And he's like, oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I was in on four. Live free or die hard. I was. Was that the one with the computer one? Yeah, the computer one with the fire sale. The fire sale. Yeah, that one wasn't Uh, bad. It wasn't bad. I mean, come on. I mean, like, but comparing it to the the original like trio, and even the second one, which was though, wasn't it the one where they were in New York? No, no, that's the one. No, it was in DC. It was Dulles Airport. Yeah, yeah. What was the one where they were like running all over town with like the? That's in New York City. That was in New York. That was three. That was three. That was supposed to be a Lethal Weapon script. That they no way uh-huh. that I did not know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I uh, yeah, I, I can watch those. Who movies. was the uh, who was the taxi driver? It wasn't Lawrence Fishburne? Was it? No, no it was well, Sam, L. Sam L. Sam L. That's right. But he God. wasn't a taxi driver. He was, he a, was a shop owner. Yeah, he was shop like owner. a like, in Harlem. Yeah. Right? I thought he was a taxi driver. No, 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 he was they, the guy. He was the guy that point, saved him when he went out there with the sandwich yeah, sign. Yeah, 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 that's right. And yeah. Yeah. at some point, they do drive a taxi. Yeah, they take over a taxi. That's what you say. That's right. That's right. That's right. I like that. Man, those are good movies. Those were good movies. Those were all good movies. Like, it's hard to find good movies like that in this this time period. Like, there are some... I don't know. I haven't been to the movie in, like, over a year. Well, I haven't either. This is a prime opportunity to introduce Jeff to Denim Thieves. Oh, my goodness gracious. Den of Thieves is just a remake, and it didn't do a really good job. <laughs> Who's in Den of Roll Thieves? Roll sleeves up text to wait, Gerard wait, Butler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, they paid, I never saw this one. They paid tribute. You haven't seen? Den, Den of Thieves. Yeah. Is, they paid tribute uh, 50 to 50 Cent. Heat. What's the dude's name who's uh, uh, Ice Cube's son's in it? Who's the other actor? Uh, is it on uh, Netflix or yeah, Amazon Prime? Yeah, Prime? yeah. He was, the, he was the guy. Now, the, that, that, the, the antagonist was actually... Uh, from 13 Hours. I can't remember his name, but he played... Um, his played name's Contos. Pablo? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Man, he's, he's I did like that 13 Hours. That was a good movie. Um, that was hard. That was hard. That was no, a hard like... Um, Pablo Schreiber. So, yeah. Schreiber. So like Schreiber. the... Um, I mean, I've, anybody that's listened to the podcast knows that I was a classics major because I've talked at a nauseum. But I always remember like reading in like, uh, you know, the, the Norse mythology that like if you want to go to Valhalla, you got to go out on the sword. And like the idea of like dying as an old man cold in bed. Yeah. Um, like seeing those dudes go out, like slugging it out like that. They did. Like, yeah, I was um, it, it, it was conflicting in that like those guys did what they were. They should be cherished as warriors. But the fact that they were abandoned and then they. Basically, yeah. like recreated why they, they were there. I'm like, why don't we just be honest? Yeah. That dude was a fucking gun dealer. Like he was over there dealing guns for uh, for 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 you know the government and doing this stuff. And that you know the the U.S. government has been destabilizing these things by going in and like you know do like like the nefarious oh, things yeah. that we were doing and oh, they, yeah. that they were over there doing. And the reason that they disavowed oh, it and just turned the turn the uh, deal off is because they knew what they were doing was a bad deal. Well, and then they left those dudes out to dry. 
It wasn't this. It wasn't simply that. There, there, there was a lot of like, like policy drives a lot of those things, and those policies were shit policies from a shit administration. Yeah, and that's kind of where like, like I I get upset about is like those policies should never have been in place in the yeah. first place like that like and that's a whole other that's yeah whole no other i mean they uh dude uh those are american citizens and those are our guys yeah. uh regardless of, of what you've right asked them to wrong. do you right or wrong fucking back them yep that's that and, exactly and, and just pretending like don't answer the phone yeah like, get the fuck out that here. was weak sauce i don't know if at the risk of being maybe inappropriate and not to minimize human the human life that was lost there but like they're also like really highly trained and invested in uh, assets, right? Like, a, and is there a, is That's that not, anything to be calculated in there? Not, no? a, not at the policy level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at the policy level. So we we've seen this on our side, especially when we work with the U.S. military and the government. They are more interested in the purchase of hardware than they are in the software, even though they dump a ton of money. Like, I I, I forgot who gave me the number, but when. Um, <gasps> What was the dudes from Gold that were in the chopper that got shut down and like all those dudes? Yeah, that was a was, that, was a turbine turbine thirty one I think. No, what, what was the one where they lost like basically like the whole yeah, Gold team? Tur- that was I think turbine. The, well, the the call sign for the bird, yeah. turbine. Yeah, and so they they went down and like they were estimating the value of training and knowledge as like this would cripple, uh, you know, development group and like naval special warfare for generations. Like this was unreplaceable. Like the loss, like there was no monetary loss because the individuals probably had, you know, know, tens of millions of dollars invested in their training, but also Mm -hmm. the knowledge that they had as experts can never be replaced. And uh, I think it was Andy and I talked about it and he's like, you know, what happened on that day will set this country back in terms of like what those guys had. So like the intrinsic value within them is so high because, you know, the job that they did is, is unable to be re- recreated. Yeah, there's that. And there's the just that experience level that you talked about. That's the key. That's what you can't value. People don't understand that. Value. Well, isn't that why NSW is so good? Because the dudes that are in that, then they come back and become the instructors to like. To indoctrinate the young guys to a certain extent that that you know there's a, there's a, the the sharing of information across the spectrum, and and that you know that's always been the way that you know like the West Coast and the East Coast we share the information between the two, one team to another team share the information between the two, one platoon to another platoon share the information between. That's the that's kind of like the overarching goal, if you will. Mm-hmm. All right, at least it has been. Yeah. Time code text. 90 minutes. Oh. Three and a half hours. <laughs> Thank you for another amazing episode of Power Athlete. <laughs> Brought to you by Triton Concepts. <laughs> like, goodbye. <laughs> oh, my God. Good Three time. and a half hours? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what happens. You're chopping it up with friends. Oh, my God. I so, Jeff, that. baby, these guys and gals who are listening want yeah, to yeah. learn more about you, learn yeah, more yeah, about yeah. Trident. Where do you want to go? So, the best place would be to go to the website, tridentconcepts.com. Uh, you can follow me on all the social media, Facebook. Um, like, like the call signs and screen names are all different, but they all, you know, you can figure it out. Sort it out. Yeah. And then let's say, let's say there's some people who are new into this, um, to like gun ownership or firearms or they want to learn more. Are there any like widely available resources you could point them to yeah, outside sure. of the tribe? Yeah. The daily defense videos from the Brownells. If okay. they go to, um, they can see them up on my YouTube channel. So if they go to my YouTube channel, uh, uh, we release a video once a week, every Monday. Oh, 
<laughs> every Monday. That's that's the hugging that she loves to do. She loves to hug. A lap dog. Oh, like a 50-pound, you know, fur missile. That's a lap dog. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, Daily Defense from Brownells. They can go to the YouTube channel. They can go to the Brownells website and see that. And that, again, is de- designed around those new shooters, the first-time gun owners, yeah. the people that are just starting to come into the fringe to try to create a, you know, a, 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 an easy atmosphere and environment for them to kind of start learning. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Power Athlete Nation. Another episode into the books. I guess until well, we did it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to tridentconcepts.com where you can get links to all of Jeff's social media, check out his firearms training videos, and sign up for any upcoming courses. Until next time, bye!